Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Context of white supremacy, gusty renegade justice, and for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, November 28th, 2013. So I have been told. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks uh, had the day off, uh, hopefully doing something constructive with your time and energy, not squabbling, name calling, doing anything else that is non-constructive. Hopefully, if you are around some uh, attempted family members, friends, other folks, non-white people, uh, hopefully you all had constructive dialogue, were able to exchange some views, and maybe even talked about racism, white supremacy. There certainly have been enough things in the news uh, over this year, as well as the past few weeks, uh, current events and what have you, the film 12 Years a Slave, Lots of things you should have been able to uh, talk about to have some constructive dialogue with your time and energy. Uh, As we are big proponents of not wasting time and trying to do as much as possible towards solving the problem, producing justice, replacing white supremacy with justice as soon as possible, uh, always Look forward to hearing from Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. Uh, this would be her 21st visit. Uh, again, author of the ISIS Papers, third generation physician, general and child psychiatrist. Uh, I think a lot of folks uh, saw her in Tariq Nasheed's documentary film, Hidden Colors. Uh, always, always, always supremely grateful for her being able to share a bit of her time and energy uh, just to get some of her expertise uh, and suggestions on things that we can do to become better uh, in our efforts at countering racism. Uh, And just we are supremely grateful uh, for her being dedicated, steadfast in her efforts to establish justice and help black people Uh, just Super thankful she could hang out with us once again and joining us live from Washington, D.C., our guest for the evening, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Uh, Dr. Welsing, are you with us? Yes, I am. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. We are uh, just honored and, uh, as always, tickled to have you on the program and uh, looking forward to learning, paying great attention. Hopefully people will take notes uh, during the course of the broadcast and definitely dial in if you have questions uh, that you would like to ask Dr. Welsing to get her view uh, before we get started, how are you doing, Dr. Welsing? I'm sorry. Say that again. I just said, how are you doing this evening, Dr. Welsing? I'm doing fine. And uh, what I was thinking about today, this is called Thanksgiving. And I was uh, paused to think, well, what am I most thankful for? And aside from family, uh, I started thinking that the thing that I am most thankful for, uh, November 28th, 2013, is that as black people, we now have the capability to understand the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I think that uh, 
this can be a turning point for those people who are truly dedicated to wanting to see something different happen with black people or a change or to see greater justice, the fact that we can now really understand what it is that we're dealing with. And so that is what I am really highly thankful for because it's going to enable us to move forward with each person being a leader, not necessarily requiring to be led by somebody else, but because we have a deeper understanding, we can all begin to understand certainly those people who are committed to making a change in the 21st century. So I thought I would just share that. Outstanding. Outstanding. Hopefully some of those folks who are committed to uh, helping out black people replacing racism, they will be listening to the program uh, and inspired uh, by the exchange of views this evening. Um, to start out with, I thought it would be great. Uh, we were speaking the other day. I've been telling people if you have older family members or friends, people that you know uh, who were alive in 1963 when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, to talk to them, see if they had any memorable anecdotes. Uh, a lot of that, certainly you had a lot of things that were happening related to racism, white supremacy, his assassination being only a few months after the uh, March on Washington. Uh, and when I was speaking with you the other day, you had a pretty interesting anecdote. Can you share uh, one of the rumors that you heard when uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Well, I was uh, on the campus of St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C., having started a residency in, uh, in general psychiatry. And I remember, being, you know, walking across the grounds and somebody said that the president had been shot and that a black man was responsible. So I certainly remember that and after, you know, there was a correction of that. I don't know whether somebody had heard that on the radio, but that was what came to me. And uh, so I think that... Uh, that's interesting because we see that kind of accusation uh, repeated in the context of system of racism, white supremacy. I wasn't thinking about uh, racism as a system necessarily at that point, but I certainly remember that was what was said. Wow. Uh, I think many of our listeners uh, can relate to black people being uh, just accused of any and everything <laughs> under the uh, system of white supremacy worldwide. Um, I was super glad I was able to get that out uh, for our listeners. Well, you know, I think that um, once we begin to understand that uh, racism, white supremacy is a system for white genetic survival and the perceived threat to white genetic survival in the minds of people who classify themselves as white, whether consciously or subconsciously, the greatest threat to their genetic survival is black people. Uh, people of color in general, but black people in particular, because black people have the greatest genetic potential to produce the black skin pigment 
or the black pigment in different parts of the body, but the black pigment melanin. And so we are, if we understand that racism, white supremacy is a system for white genetic survival, you see, if we go further and we start thinking about hate or just injustice in the abstract and really begin to understand in depth that this is a system about white genetic survival and then understanding that black people with the greatest genetic potential to produce melanin would be perceived as a threat. You see, so we're always coming up as the bad people, uh, the dangerous people, the frightening people. Now, this is not because black people are threatening in, a, in the overt physical sense, but it is perceived that they are the threat because they have this powerful pigment in their genetic system. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? <laughs> Absolutely, uh, crystal clear, uh, crystal black clear, as you uh, as you say. And in fact, uh, I wanted to play a sound clip, and I think it will it will coincide nicely with what you just shared, particularly about this being about white genetic survival, uh, with regards to why the motivation for individuals who classify themselves as white, why they practice racism, white supremacy, and why. Black people especially are targeted, abused and perceived consistently as a threat to white people. Uh, when I spoke with you uh, just a couple days ago, you mentioned uh, the white male author, uh, John Grisham, and he's done a lot of books. I think a lot of people, even if they haven't read his books, I'm sure they have seen some of the movies uh, that have been adapted from his books. Uh, a Time to Kill. Uh, they just celebrated, I think, the 20 year anniversary uh, of the book. And they were talking about. Uh, it's all about racism. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in it and a lot of other big name uh, at Sandra Bullock from the, <laughs> from the blonde side. He did an interview on the BBC. Uh, he actually did two interviews this year. He did one in the spring where he was talking about the anniversary for a time to kill. And they spent the whole time talking about racism. The book that you just told me about that just came out a few weeks ago, Sycamore Row. Uh, also yeah. deals with racism. And he was on the BBC right. just a couple days ago and he was talking about that book and racism. And I just I hope this comes through clear. I want you to, to check this out. And then if you could share your thoughts on what he said, he's talking about racism and growing up as a white person in the South and how that impacted him. This is uh, white author John Grisham. He's talking about a time to kill Sycamore Row. This is from the BBC from November of this year. On the question of race in that territory, was there still a huge race issue when you were uh, there as a young man? Uh, I, I struggle with racism every day because of the way I was raised, because of um, I, I was raised in an all-white world in Mississippi, um, and we thought it would always be white. What were your parents like about that? My parents were wonderful people, but uh, not the least bit tolerant toward black people. And that's the way I, that's my DNA, that's the way I was raised. And it, it took um, a long time to become more tolerant. Is there any way then that you think that A Time to Kill, and even this book, is about atonement? 
For who? For Jake? For, for you. For, for the attitude that you were raised with. Maybe. Because I'm Jake. Okay. I mean, it was all, the, the book was very autobiographical. A lot of white people of my generation from the Deep South um, still struggle with racism and trying to overcome it. I think we're all racists, okay? Mm. In what way? Just different levels. We prefer our race and we're quick, we're quick, quick, quick to condemn others. We're quick to look at life through colored glasses. And it's, there's certainly different levels of it. But it's um, still difficult for me many times. And how does that manifest itself? Well, um, stereotypes. You expect uh, certain things out of certain people. You see um, a gruesome crime. You see the suspects arrested and the two black punks who killed a white businessman. And instinctively you think, okay, they're guilty, you know, um, there's a level of tremendous dislike, you know. And then you, you get past that and you say, okay, well, maybe they're not guilty, they're presumed to be innocent. Maybe the cops have got the wrong people, which happens all the time. Maybe um, you should try to understand where they came from. They probably never had a chance. They probably born on the streets, raised on the streets, probably never were taught right from, you know, so you, your initial reaction is to react negatively uh, to many situations. And then, you know, you have to work through it. Do you think that the election and re-election of President Obama has fundamentally changed things for black people? I don't know. It's it's changed things for black people because there is such an enormous sense of uh, pride and almost disbelief um, on the part of most black folks when he got elected. They never thought it would happen. We didn't, no one would have thought it would happen 10 years ago. Um, the downside is that a lot of black people thought that change, you know, would finally arrive at a certain point and change was going to happen overnight. Um, but then the expectations were so high that no one could ever achieve those expectations. John Christian, thank you very much. My pleasure. Always fun. Context of white supremacy. I hope you were able to hear that clearly. Uh, no, you're going to have to give me the high points. I was able to hear uh, the number of times that racism was spoken of. And uh, talked about being born in Mississippi and the way that he was brought up. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Uh, some of the high points he said that racism is in his DNA. Mm-hmm. He said that his parents were nice people, but they were not tolerant of black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that many of the white people that he grew up with, he's talking Mississippi, Arkansas, that they still have a problem with black people. Uh, he said that it's something that he struggles with. He works through on a daily basis still. Uh, he said he talked about specifically with stereotypes. He said if he sees a report where two black punks, end quote, that's what he said, two black punks uh, committed a crime against a white businessman, and you immediately think negatively of these two black punks, and he said, then you have to stop and think, well, maybe they were probably born on the streets 
uh, and had a tough time and weren't raised properly. And maybe they're, maybe they're innocent. Maybe they didn't actually commit this crime. Uh, and then he talked about President Obama being uh, elected and how black people had a lot of pride and high hopes. But those expectations of him being able to change things for black people overnight uh, were just impossible to be met. I think those would be kind of. Oh, and he said that the character Jake in his books, Sycamore Row and A Time to Kill, that that character is a reflection of him. Those would be some of the highlights. Well, that's very interesting, and I have respect for the fact that as a white person, he's trying to deal with something that I would say that he does not, I mean, he certainly knows about the day-to-day carrying out, uh, you know, and what white people think, how they talk amongst themselves about the issue of race. Uh, and I think that he is trying to be honest now. He's, he's saying that uh, he thinks racism is in his DNA. What's in his DNA is the inability to produce skin pigment. And along with all of the other people who have that genetic recessive trait and what has evolved in the last 500, if not more years, about on a planet where the majority of people are people with skin coloration, that unless the people of color are suppressed according to the color code, if you're black, get back, brown, stick around, yellow, mellow, white, right, white would be genetically annihilated. You see, so these attitudes that he's talking about and their persistence, they persist because they are essential to white survival. But I give him a lot of credit. I encourage people to read. I had not read any of his novels. I don't spend a lot of time reading novels. I have a sister who I was talking to earlier today, and she said she's read almost all of them. And as a matter of fact, I sent her my copy of Sycamore Row, which she read, uh, you know, like nonstop. But as I said, I commend him. He is a person. He's not denying racism. He is acknowledging the existence of racism as white supremacy. Now, I think, did he say that all people are racist? Yes, ma'am, he did say that. Now, that I would disagree with, meaning that the behavior of the victims of racism and black people are the major victims of white supremacy. That the and racism, white supremacy as a total system structure is nonstop violence, nonstop terrorism against black people. And the repercussions or the effect of that twenty four seven oppression has caused distorted behavior on the part of black people. And so because black people react to the violence and the terrorism of racism, white supremacy, which in most cases they don't really fully understand, they know that something is happening to them and that they can't get out of the box. But they don't understand the why it is happening. But the end product of behavior and the distortion of black family structure as black people are attacked, and black men in particular, because it's the men who are perceived as being the threat 
to white genetic survival because only males, whether they're white, black, brown, red, or yellow, can impose sexual intercourse. So he doesn't he doesn't understand that part, but I think I'll write him a letter and <laughs> suggest that he read the ISIS papers because I think that he is trying to understand. But the I say that there is not in-depth discussion about racism as white supremacy. You have some white people calling themselves anti-racist and talking about whiteness and talking about white privilege, but they do not want to get to the core of the problem, which is whites' numerical minority status and their genetic recessive status, and so therefore, they don't want to deal with that, and so even though they call themselves anti-racist or whatever, they really are not serious about ending the system of racism and white supremacy, and they will not give credit to the black people who have probed the depths of what this issue is. They will try to discredit. I'm thinking specifically of a person such as Tim Wise, who would say that what Dr. Welsing says is pseudoscientific BS. You see, there would be no necessity <laughs> to say that unless, and he has said that he's a racist, but many black people don't understand that he is racist or that he said he's racist as he's trying to pretend that he's involved in anti-racist activity. Absolutely. Uh, you can visit the archives uh, for folks who didn't know that. Mr. Timothy Wise admitted racist. He did say that on the program. Uh, it has been recorded. Um, before I move forward, I thought there was one really important point, and I, I don't read a lot of fiction either, but after I spoke with you, I immediately got a copy of Sycamore Row, John Grisham. Uh, you said that, I guess there's a discussion between some of the characters in the book where they yeah, are two, I think two lawyers. Okay. And two white lawyers in the book. And they're talking. And one of them, well, go ahead, you, you tell. Uh, no, ma'am, you can tell. I haven't read the book. You're just the one where they were talking about race and, and money? I see. Well, there were two, I think the two uh, characters were attorneys and talking about the problem of race in this story. And so one person said, well, it's all about money. And uh, the other character said, race always trumps money. And it would have to because, I mean, white people print money, you see, but they don't make their genetic material. So the genetic fact that is the bottom line in terms of racism, they don't have control over that. And so, you know, like a lot of people, white people and black people, will want to say, well, it's all about money. And race is something, you know, secondary or tertiary. But race is the critical, the key critical issue. Because that's not something, I mean, it's about genetics. And white people are not in charge of the genetic makeup on the planet. Not yet, anyway. So his statement of that race always trumps money is something that black people need to pay attention to because it does always trump money. 
race trumps whether you're president of the United States or not. Do you see, some people might say, well, if you're president, you're the most powerful person uh, in this area of the world, in the United States. But we are seeing with the very election of President Barack Obama that he is demeaned and mistreated and every effort is made to try to see that he fails or that his policies or recommendations do not go through. So even in black people thought, wow, if we would ever have president of the United States, our problems would be solved. No, not at all. As long as you have the system structure of racism and white supremacy, one black man in a job is not going to change that reality, and that's the instruction that we are being given on a daily basis, seeing what indeed is happening to President Obama. And uh, it just helps us understand even further that we're dealing with a total system structure and that the system is about something critically important to people who classify themselves as white, and that's white genetic survival and the prevention of white genetic annihilation. So if we can get increasing numbers of black people to begin to understand at that level, and it's not going to come about another, all the people that we see as black spokespersons uh, that we might see on television or we might see teaching at various universities. They are not allowed to talk about racism, white supremacy in depth. I was looking at, I think it's the sixth installment of um, Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Professor Henry Louis Gates at Harvard University. And he started in his series about the black many rivers to cross. And I looked at, he is talking about the different things that have happened to black people, but there's absolutely no discussion whatsoever about why racism, white supremacy exists and why black people have had to deal with it in this part of the world for the last 500 years. I would say because of his being at a prominent white university, he's not allowed to talk about it. Probably nobody is allowed to talk about it, even at black universities where, you know, so-called historically black colleges and universities where the money comes from people who classify themselves as white. I say racism and white supremacy is the one critical thing that people who classify themselves as white do not want to have revealed. It's sort of like the key to their functioning, the key to their enigma code, so to speak. Mm. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, context of white supremacy. Uh, share the program. Uh, you can be listening with your family as you all finish up your meal and uh, enjoy the rest of your day off. Share, listen, constructive information, I think. Tweet it, put it on Facebook as well. Uh, you connected uh, racism, white supremacy, and saying that not only does race 
Trump money, race Trump's being president, being in the White House. Uh, when I spoke with you a couple of days ago, you were also talking about the symbolism right from the ISIS papers. You talk about how racist symbols, they are around us all the time. You talked about the racist symbolism of Kerry Washington, gorgeous black female, and the show Scandal, and how that, what that signifies, not only about President Obama, but also about Michelle Obama. Can you kind of share with our audience some of what you see with regarding the racist symbolism in the show Scandal? Well, um, let me see if I can say this quickly. Sim- symbols, the brain is able to produce symbols by crunching data. In other words, data comes into the brain computer 24-7 through the modalities of the sensory apparatus, sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. All of this data about the environment is continuously being fed in to the brain computer. Much of what is fed in is not at the conscious level it is at the subconscious level. And if there are things that people do not want to confront, if there are aspects of reality that people do not want to confront consciously, that also gets stored in the subconscious and it can become a part of what the brain will turn into various symbols about reality. And so I was struck by, in our conversation, we were talking about the um, television series Scandal. And I was saying that if you understand what I'm saying about the system of racism, white supremacy, then your understanding of why that, first of all, why that series was made, And secondly, secondarily, why it is the most important, or shall I say the most viewed uh, video uh, series on television. And black people are looking at it with a great deal of enthusiasm, or shall I say many black people are looking at it with a great deal of enthusiasm. I say if they don't understand racism, they don't really understand what they're looking at. Because if you understand racism and you understand that the enslavement of black people, so-called slavery, was only the first early phase of the system of racism, white supremacy, and that in, on, in the, on the slave plantation, one of the things that the slaves talked about all the time, and I think, Lavar, you said that it was mentioned in 12 Years a Slave, was what white, what black woman, what African woman was being used as a concubine by the white slave master. Now, I say that the film series Scandal is a replication of that. And black people's being interested in 2013 is the same way that they were interested when we were in formal slavery. What slave did the slave master pick 
to be his concubine. And that's the same relationship that exists in the film Scandal, but black people are looking at it as somehow the, the black woman is in power. And to me, what is also interesting is that her name is Washington, and that leads us to Washington, D.C., and to the White House itself, where the demeanment of the president and the demeanment of the first lady, you've had white people commenting about the size of her rear end and demeaning her, and so this film or this television series where the majority of white people who are looking at it are thinking she's just a hoe. Black people are thinking, oh, it's a wonderful relationship. Like many black people wanted to tell themselves that Sally Hemings' relationship with Thomas Jefferson was a love relationship. That wasn't a love relationship. That was a slave master's relationship imposing himself on a slave woman, a black woman, an African woman. That's nothing to be happy about. But again, see, the slave always wanted to be accepted by the master. I would say the most important thing for the majority of black people is to have white validation. And it's just like it's played out again in our religion. Black people pray that the image of a white God will love them. This is what we call Christian religion, as it is used and played out by black people. And that's what was also taught on the slave plantation. Slave, obey your master. Turn the other cheek and you'll get your reward in heaven. So it just, it, it just plays out that we are dealing with a continuous system structure. And this is what we as black people are challenged to understand. I mean, as long as we are going forward talking about, you know, not wanting to face the reality of a system of racism and white supremacy, we keep saying, well, why did this happen? Well, why does this black man get killed? Well, why did this one get killed? Well, why are all the black men in jail? Well, why this or why aren't they being educated? Why is it that the children can't read? During the slavery phase of racism, white supremacy, you would be punished if you tried to learn to read. So fast forward 500 years later, and the majority of black children are not learning how to read in school. All these many years later, and in the presence of a black president, you see, so you don't make progress in a system of racism, white supremacy. You may keep having the first one this, the first one that, the first president, the first uh, president of a college, the first CEO. So you always have one or two people doing something, maybe three and 20 people doing something. But the masses of the people are enslaved and to the extent that those first this and first that, to the extent that the President of the United States 
President Barack Obama to the extent that he doesn't understand a system of racism and white supremacy, he will have a severe headache when he puts his head on the pillow at night wondering why is he demeaned in the way that he is demeaned. So high position, high salary doesn't make any difference. That black people have a given place in a system of racism and white supremacy and that means at the mass level to be at the bottom of the barrel. And even if you are at the top of the barrel, you are under control and you are demeaned. So this is why we have to begin to understand we're dealing with a total system structure. And it's necessary if there is going to be white genetic survival on the planet. In other words, if everybody was equal, let's just take the 500 nations of Native Americans. If they were all still here and producing children, and all of the black people who were enslaved, everybody was free and everybody was relating to everybody else, white would disappear. And people who classify themselves as white, consciously and or subconsciously, are aware of this. This is why they have a whole system structure to prevent their genetic annihilation. This is the importance of the gun. So my prayer today is that give us the courage to be able to open our eyes, respect ourselves enough that we have the courage to look at reality. And this is why the Attorney General, Eric Holder, the first black Attorney General, said something critically important. It'll probably turn out to be the most important statement made in the first half of the 21st century. Are we a nation of cowards being unable to talk about racism? And to the extent that black people, black people don't want to talk about it because they know it'll make white people unhappy. White people don't want to talk about it because it's the game that they're playing that they do not want people to understand, that they do not want the people of color on this entire planet to understand what they are really doing, which is why, you know, people of color are scratching their heads, and particularly black people can't figure it out because it's prevented from being talked about for what it is. But And this is not about hating white people. This is sort of uh, parallel to uh, sitting down at a chessboard and being on the black side of the chessboard. The game of chess is about white king checkmate black king. White always moves first, playing offense, defense. The black side of the board has to play defense, offense. But if you're going to play chess successfully, you have to understand the game. It's no different than football. You know how many football games are being played today? Everybody's you know, had their dinner and watching football. You can't play football successfully if you don't understand the game. 
you have to understand the game. Football is not played with a tennis racket. It's not played with a basketball. It's not played with a tennis ball. It is a very specific game that has very specific rules. And there are plays that go with the goal objective in the game of football, just like there are rules that go with the game of basketball, baseball, tennis. But you have to understand exactly what you are dealing with. It's no different than a doctor. A doctor can't treat a patient successfully if the doctor doesn't understand the disease process. See, this is scientific thinking. And I say this is why, you know, if the system of racism, just like in formal slavery, it didn't want black people to learn how to read because if people learned how to read, they would learn how to think. And if they learned how to think, they would be more successful in overcoming whatever was oppressing them. The same is true now. You see, but slaves would be killed or beaten or have their hands cut off if they tried to learn how to read because you can't maintain control over people who are thinking. You can maintain control over people who are singing and dancing and clowning and playing all the time and not taking themselves seriously. You can can maintain control probably for 50,000 years. But if people are taking themselves seriously and you have to be able to read and you have to be able to think, and this is what the system doesn't want black people to do. So all these many years later, 50 years after the integration of the schools and the civil rights movement, and black people are saying children are failing in school and not knowing how to read. That's because the same system that prevented people from learning how to read when they were in formal slavery is continuous. It just uses other means. It looks like it's changing, but in fact, it's the same system goal objective. You see, before we were in physical change, now we're in psychological change, change that prevents us from understanding what the real deal is and paying the highest salaries to people who are entertainers. And to prove that a lot of them are, you know, they get high salaries, but if they hate themselves as they get those high salaries, then they will say it's okay. Uh, you know, if you're on a football team and some white guy calls a black man a, a nigger or a half nigger, and then you have the other black players saying, oh, he's an honorary nigger. He's an honorary, the white man is an honorary black man, and it's okay for the white man to call black men niggers. So they're making big salaries, but their self-respect has been annihilated. Their knowledge and understanding of the system that they are living in doesn't exist. Context of white supremacy. 
Uh, before I move to the next topic, I just wanted to share two things that popped into my brain computer uh, as we were talking the other day and, and even today. Uh, the first one, just paying attention to the name, I think you said that the fact that in Scandal, the black female actress Carrie Washington, her last name, uh, not only does it draw you to the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., uh, but I think you use the, the term pretty regularly. You don't say our forefathers, you say the fondling fathers, uh, reminding me of George Washington and how a lot of these folks were slave yeah, owners. Yeah, the fondling fathers. And uh, yeah, her having the last name, you end up with a lot of uh, black people who've been enslaved and then raped and producing ch uh, children by these white enslavers and they end up with the last name of the very people who have been terrorizing them and taking sex sexually exploiting them uh, with her last name being Washington uh, and then you also said that just these type of program scandal having this on while President Obama First Lady Michelle Obama are in the White House that for white people even if it's at a subconscious level they're supposed to be thinking understanding it is a scandal that these niggers are in the White House. And if anything, if they are present, if we do have black people in the White House, they're supposed to be the butler. The understanding behind why these films... I'm glad you remembered that conversation, right? Exactly. See, we, again, if we don't understand racism, white supremacy, Neely Fuller says, if you don't understand white supremacy... Racism, what it is, and exactly how it works. Everything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. See, we have to look critically at the fact. Why are we still talking about the same problem a hundred years later, two hundred years later, three hundred years later? We have to ask ourselves, what is it that we don't really understand? Why is it that we're walking in a circle and not walking in a straight line? Transforming the system of racism, white supremacy into a system of justice. Now, for sure, if we don't understand the system of racism, white supremacy, what is the thing, the dynamic, the power dynamic that exists? If we don't understand it and we don't see it, it's for certain we can't change it. And it's like the patient has a, you know, a tumor, cancerous tumor. If the doctor doesn't see it, doesn't detect it, doesn't find it, the patient is going to die from cancer. It's as simple as that. And every, every effort is made to prevent black people from talking about racism, white supremacy as a system. And people can be ever so brilliant and ever so intelligent. You see, but if they don't bottom line, uh, you know, the, the book, The New Jim Crow, very important book. But if the bottom line is not these conditions exist because we are in a system of racism, white supremacy. This is why certain specific things are happening to black men. 
Not that it's just happening. Not to just say that it's not just. No, it's happening because of a powerful system dynamic that necessitates white genetic survival, which means, therefore, that black men have to be destroyed. Further, black people have to be genocided. There's that word again, genocide, destruction of the genes. So this is a challenge that is, uh, this is in front of us. And believe me, if people think that groups of people cannot be genocided, that's a mistake. 500 nations of Native Americans were genocided. You just have the remnants left. 500 nations occupied this land. They're all dead. They're all gone, basically. The remaining few are on reservations, drinking, using drugs, unemployed, and dying. Now, that can be black people's story, too, if they don't begin to understand what they're dealing with and not spend any time hating white people, but spending all of their time, okay, this is what is happening. We are in a dynamic system structure of racism and white supremacy. It's not about just getting money. People who classify themselves as white print the money. They make the money. It's not dollars growing on trees and you have to harvest them. They make the money. They print the money. So the system structure, as we are informed by Neely Fuller's work, covers economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. This total system covers all areas of people activity, and it controls thought, speech, action, and emotional response. I say patterns of perception, logic, symbol formation, thought, speech, action, and emotional response. And all of this behavior is geared towards white genetic survival and preventing white genetic annihilation. The, protect, the production of money, who gets the money, who gets the jobs, who gets the education, all of it is determined by the goal objectives of the system of racism, white supremacy. Now, when we, when we have a critical mass of black people that are thinking and understanding in this way, we will begin to make inroads on the problem. Because once we understand that the system has to move in the direction of destroying black men, because it is men who can impose sexual intercourse, who can, are therefore perceived as a threat to white genetic survival. That's why every time a so-called policeman shoots uh, a black person, and now it's any white person who says, 
I, I saw this black person and they made me afraid. So I pulled out my gun and killed them. Because the black person is perceived as being able to do harm. The harm is not hitting the white person. The perceived harm is that black people have more powerful genetic material that can cause white genetic annihilation. In genetic terms, it's called genetic dominance over a genetic recessive state. This is the perception. I thought he had a weapon, so I took out my gun and killed him. Now as I thought, you know, I, I saw him and I was made afraid. This is what uh, George Zimmerman's defense was, was why he had to kill Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old black male child with iced tea and candy, going home in the rain. I was afraid, and so I killed him, and then the jury says not guilty and says race wasn't involved. Race was involved. There's nothing that black people do 24-7 when race is not involved. The very classification of people, you're either classified as white or classified as non-white. All those other little categories of whatever, Mixed race means non-white. President Obama is mixed race. He's a black man because of black genetic dominance. There are no mixed race people who are thought by white people to be white. They are colored. They are not white. They are non-white. So everything that a black, per black person goes into Macy's, tries to spend money to buy his mother a graduation present, the police stop him on the outside of the store and arrest him. Black woman buys an expensive purse. She leaves the store. The police stop her, ask her how could she afford to pay that amount of money for a purse. How dare anybody say race is not involved? How dare any black person or any white person say race wasn't involved? From the day you're born, you are given a racial classification. Not how you know, how many grades your parents had in school. No, you were given a race classification. Racism is with you 24-7, no matter where you step, where you go, what time of day it is. Race was with Kanye West when he said, Kim Kardashian is better looking than the First Lady. I mean, that's race sickness. He hasn't escaped racism. He's fallen more deeply into racism. Saying, I hate black women. I love white women more than I love black women. 
And I don't know how much money. He's got money that can probably pile up to the ceiling in every room in my house. So money didn't save him. Money didn't save Tiger Wood from losing it all. So these are things that if we begin to understand and begin to really respect ourselves, uh, take ourselves seriously, understand what is black dignity, what is black self-discipline, begin to understand, you know, what, what do those terms mean in a system of racism, white supremacy, and understand the importance of any group of people if the people start thinking negatively about themselves. Those people are doomed to failure, probably doomed to death. And black people are the only people on this entire planet, black people in this area of the world, who are calling themselves niggers and bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs and bow wow. We're the only people on the entire planet who are dancing and entertaining ourselves as we are demeaning ourselves. This means that the people are on their last legs and then wondering, why won't somebody employ me? Why should somebody employ a gangster, a thug, a bitch, a hoe, and a dog? See, and so this is what I'm saying again. Thinking about system is thinking as a whole. You're not just dealing with one little spot. You are thinking of the entire. This is like somebody walks into a factory where they're producing automobiles, and the particular office that the person walks in might be the, you know, the clerical unit let's just say, or the IT unit. <laughs> and so that's all a person sees, and so that's all they focus on, that just one thing. They don't see the entire factory and all the different units that are producing different parts of the automobile. They don't see the whole thing. And so they don't know what's happening, and this is why we greet each other, hey, what's happening? Because we're not seeing things as a whole. It doesn't mean that we can't learn how to think and see things as a whole. And this is what we absolutely must do. And it doesn't mean that everybody all at once is going to uh, begin seeing things as a whole and as they are and having enough respect for self so that one starts being interested in what is happening to black people. See, if I say that we have maybe fewer than one-tenth of one percent of black people who are understanding 
racism, white supremacy as a total system structure at this point in time. But if everybody, if we use the African proverb, each one teach one, we do that about a new dance. A new dance is created in Washington, D.C., and by the end of the week, it's all the way out in California. Everybody in Philadelphia can do the new dance because one black person teaches another black person, and pretty soon the whole black population knew, knows the latest dance. Or the latest trashy thing to do. Because each one teaches one. Well, if we would do that about helping each other understand and setting a goal, you see, by June of 19, 2014, the majority of black people are going to understand racism, white supremacy, what it is and how it works. You see, but the other side of the chessboard is thinking all the time. They are not confused. People classify themselves as white. Fewer than one-tenth of the people on the planet. And somebody can say, how can one-tenth of the people control the nine-tenths? Well, if the one-tenth of the people make the nine-tenths, first of all, begin by hating themselves. And people of color on the planet have been taught to hate themselves. I mean, just think about how it started on the plantation. On the plantation, everybody was black-skinned. Then the slave master started raping African women and diluting the melanin, producing a lighter color, and then favoring the lighter colors. Favoring, that means just, you know, you're brought into the big house and you rape more frequently. And changing the colors. And so then teaching people to hate themselves based on their skin color. That was a systematic process. It's continuing so that when you turn on the television set, you don't see dark-skinned black people. The people that you see are people who are highly miscegenated. And so when you look at that, Consciously, subconsciously, darker-skinned people are taught to hate themselves. Lighter-skinned people are taught this is the thing to be without thinking, wait a minute, how did we get this color? This color was created by the great-grandparents being raped. Is that something to cheer about? So these are the things, and we have to decide. I really want to start a movement where most black is most beautiful. That will definitely begin to overturn the thinking of white supremacy. I mean, you've got so-called rap artists out there singing about, you know, that black men should like everybody other than a dark-skinned person. This is, this is just totally sick, but it's making points. It's just like a football game, making points for the... Team, racism, white supremacy. So I think that black people need to go back and start saying what they said at perhaps black people's finest hour was in the civil rights era. 
when black people went up against the dogs and the police clubs and the uh, hosers and being killed and saying segregation was going to end. And after that exercise in black self-respect and black dignity came out of that with black is beautiful and black, black self-respect. Because the people were sacrificing, gave their lives out of their valuing and respect for themselves. If we look at the people, look at the way they were dressed, look at the way they conducted themselves, there was no men with their pants hanging down. There was none of that. But the system said, wait a minute. These people are talking about black is beautiful. Black pride, black dignity, black self-respect. This is dangerous for our system. So we have to change that. And we can change it because we can tell them that now they can become movie stars. And we can make them begin to trash themselves, name-call themselves, and glorify trashiness. We can completely annihilate black self-respect. And when we look at the evidence, we would have to say they have achieved that. Put drugs in the mix, have them unemployed, have them not learning in school, and put drugs in their community and make them sell drugs because we're not giving them other jobs to dignify themselves. No, we will have them participate in their own annihilation. And so then in 2013, the people are saying, how come so many blacks are shooting and killing each other? Well, that was what has been taught. That's what black people have been taught and encouraged to do, superfly selling drugs and shooting and killing other black people. And every black person who participates in those films, they're not just being entertainers. No, you are participating in a system to program the thinking of the suffering majority of black people. And so, it's not, you know, the person is not being blamed. All of us have to take responsibility for what we don't understand about the system that is oppressing and destroying us. So it's not all of the people who directly participate and all the people who indirectly don't do anything about it. We all have to take responsibility. And we have to decide that we're going to respect ourselves and love ourselves and value ourselves enough to turn this situation around. Black people are the mothers and fathers of everybody on the planet. We're the parents of white people. White people are mutations, genetic mutations to albinism. 
meaning people who don't have the ability because it's a genetic deficiency state, they don't have the ability to produce melanin skin pigment. Proof that they would like to have skin coloration is that they suntan. But if they can teach the people who have color to hate themselves, and the more color they have to hate themselves more, and to admire the people who have the genetic deficiency state of albinism. See, I would dare say if somebody could conduct a survey amongst all the black people in this area of the world and you say, how many people want to be white by tomorrow morning? I would dare say it's an overwhelming majority of black people would say, yes, they would like to be white by tomorrow morning. And add to that those who want to have straight hair. Those are all the people who are buying wigs and straight hair trying to look like white people. And then add to that the people who would like to have so-called white features. That's just the extent to which the programming and hate your black self has been done by the system of racism and white supremacy. So it's not a matter of condemning self as much as it is understanding. Understanding why we are doing certain things and what are the things that we need to do if we are going to help change the system of racism and white supremacy and produce justice on this planet. And Neely Fuller has an excellent definition of justice. He says, nobody is mistreated, nobody is allowed to be mistreated, and those who need the most help get the most help. So just being able to envision and imagine, you know, I start looking at television and, and just killing, 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 killing people all over the world, car bombs, 40 people dead, car bombs, 10 people dead, 100 people wounded. This, this is a sick dynamic going on in the world. Absolutely sick. And see, once human life is devalued, nothing else really has value. And so then people will wonder, well, what about the sexual molestation of children? Well, if human life has no value, as horrible as one might think sexual molestation of children is horrible, but if human life has no value, then nothing else has value. And we as the parent people on the planet, we need to, maybe we're the only people who can even begin to think about that. The people who classify themselves are desperate, white genetic survival by any means necessary. Any means necessary means mass killing on the planet. And then people want to get excited when they see events like Sandy Hook and a white young person gets a gun, goes into a school, and starts shooting children and killing teachers. See, I say that is a symptom of a culture where mass murder has become necessary. 
Mass murder in Afghanistan. Mass murder in Iraq. Mass deaths in Haiti. Killing, 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 killing. All the money spent killing. Every human being could have decent housing, decent clothing, decent food, high-level education. And then you can see the beauty of what human beings could possibly be. And this is why it's critical. It's critical to talk about racism and white supremacy. It's really critical for white people. You see, but you have people who classify themselves as white playing around with words like whiteness. Whiteness sounds like cotton candy. as opposed to terrorism and death dealing. You see, it's critical importance to get to the death, but people who classify themselves as white may be too deeply influenced. Well, I forget about justice. White genetic survival is what is happening. That just means the practice of racism, white supremacy. But black people and people of color have everything to gain by developing their self-respect as people of color and being determined to produce justice on the planet and to get rid of the various sicknesses that come with the package of racism, white supremacy. Context of white supremacy. Again, author of the ISIS Papers, third generation physician, general and child psychiatrist, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Uh, I do see folks that dialed in. I uh, want to see if we can get some of the folks who have questions. Uh, the number to dial is 760-569-7676. And the code is 564 nine four three pound press star six if you have a question for dr welsing uh the number the number one more time is seven six zero five six nine seven six seven six and the code is five six four nine four three pound press star six if you have a question uh, we'll go right down line there. there. Are a lot of people who have questions, so we don't really have time for statements. Uh, just get your question, and uh, we'll roll. Make sure we'll see if we can get everybody who dialed in with a question. Uh, remember, tweet the show, put it on Facebook, share, share. Encourage other non-white people to tune in if you think the broadcast is destruct uh, constructive. Uh, the person who dialed in last four digits five zero six five five zero six five. Did you have a question for Dr. Wells? Uh, yes, uh, good evening, Gus, and good evening, Dr. Wilson. It's good a evening. pleasure to talk to you. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. It's my first Thank time you. talking to you. I've heard many of your lectures and looked at them on YouTube and everything and, and your visits here on the on the cows. Um, my question is, uh, well, I have two questions. Uh, the first one. Do one at a time, dear. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm not being too personal, are you a parent? 
Am I a parent? No, I'm not. You are not. Okay. That's well, not my assignment. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, um, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and uh, ask my question anyway, since since some of your practice is dedicated toward um, children, and I have been thinking mm-hmm. about you know being a parent and everything. Um, like what what like is the minimum well not the minimum but like I would say what what advice would you give as far as like rearing children based on the like your practice and like what what guidance would you say like children need and 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 that type of thing? That's my question. Okay, let me just repeat it. You say, what guidance do children need? Yes. Is that the question, dear? Yes. Okay, I would say the most important thing that children need to receive from their parents is that they are of value second to none and that they are loved and that they are respected. Because, see, children don't ask to be born. Children have nothing to do with the selection of parents. And so when a male and a female come together and they produce an offspring, that's like a gold engraved invitation to the child to come to the planet. And so very often if people do not take the act of sexual intercourse seriously and it becomes a game and they're just playing. And so then the female finds out that she's pregnant, and then the male, if he's not ready to be a father, he'll say, well, it's not mine. Do you see what I'm saying? So that what is being taught to children, the most important thing, that they are of value, and this is why I give the advice, in the system of racism, white supremacy, Black people should seriously consider not having children until they are 30, and men need to be 35, no more than two, no closer together than three years apart. Now, why do I say that? Because children need mature parents. For a child to be born and have a parent, I don't want to take care of the baby. I want to go to the party. Do you see what I'm saying? All of this is injurious to the child's sense of self. And so it's not a matter of people blaming themselves or feeling bad. It's like, again, it's just like slavery was the beginning of racism, white supremacy. We, should, we could say that. And in slavery, black people were just supposed to be breeders. The woman was supposed to be a breeder. The man was supposed to be a stud. They didn't get married. They couldn't get married. And the slave master would ship the children away to another plantation, sell them to somebody. And that's no different than what we have going in foster care, where people are playing with sex, producing children they can't take care of. And the children are so deeply harmed. But again, I don't want anybody who is parented or child going to foster care. These are things that we have to start thinking about as black people. 
And this is why it's important to understand the system of racism. Racism, white supremacy, has no intention of maximally developing black children. The system is about their fear of their genetic annihilation and seeing that black people are the threat to their genetic survival. So they can't structure the maximal development of black children, but this is something that black people need to deeply think about as we revolutionize ourselves. So to go back to, you see, let's say if a person doesn't intend to get pregnant, doesn't intend to become a father, then they really are angry with the demands that a child makes. A child makes demands because a child is helpless. And so the child is crying or upset when their demands or their needs are not met. And then somebody's going to yell at the child or call the child out of their name, you little black so-and-so. All of that, all of that is the product of a sick system. But we have to begin to understand what the system is doing to us. And we have to challenge the system by transforming our behavior, transforming our understanding, and transforming our behavior. And I say that a child's sense of self is developed before the egg meets the sperm. The sperm meets the egg. And meaning, what are the parents thinking about? Do, do, see, do they think they're involved in some nasty game? What are they thinking about when they are engaging in the act of self-reproduction? So I don't know if that is helpful, but children have to be told they are of value, not yelling and screaming at them and calling them out of their names. You see, they have no control. Children need three years to be able to be a baby and get grow through that stage. You see, and so if they're crowded, the child is crowded by having a sibling one year behind it, and so then there's two little children trying to get their needs met. And so under the best of circumstances, this can be problematic under the circumstances that we are forced to live under, under racism, white supremacy, this can be catastrophic to the child's development and can interfere with the next phase when they go to school and when they really start learning. So I hope that's helpful. It is, and um, thank, you, thank you for um, answering my question. And thank you for your question. Uh, 1804. 1804, if you had a question for Dr. Welsing, uh, your line should be open. Uh, 1804, are you there? Did you have a question or are you just listening in? Yes, I do. I do. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, good evening. Good evening. Mike. I have two questions. Um, the, the, number, the, the first question is, uh, uh, Dr. Weslin, do you think that it's possible the reason that in Scandal they have uh, a kind of master-slave proxy relationship, uh, is it possible that the reason that is is because they uh, 
is because uh, Levar, I'm gonna have sorry. to have you repeat it. Sorry, sorry. Is is it possible that the reason they have a proxy master slave relationship right now with a you know, with a white master and Kerry Washington standing in for I guess the, the the black concubine, is it possible that it's because there is a black man in the White House and they kinda wanna have this colonial um and they kind of want to. They kind of want to harken back to that to that other time. Okay, I'm gonna still have to have him repeat the question because it's, the voice is going in and out. Okay, she said, "Do you think uh, she's talking about scandal with Kerry Washington?" She said, "Do you think the reason?" that white people have this show out right now and it's so popular is because President Obama is in the White House and they would like to harken back or reminisce to earlier periods under racism, white supremacy, when they had this kind of colonial master-slave sexual relationship, Kerry Washington being in the concubine role and a white master uh, being able to sexually exploit her. I say both at once because, in other words... Harking back to an earlier period just means harking back to an earlier period of racism, white supremacy, which was the formal enslavement period. Do you see, in other words, the mindset of white genetic survival necessitates thinking negatively about black people. And so think of the things that people have said about the first lady. People have said, people who classify themselves as white have said very disgusting, demeaning things about the First Lady and about the President. So I'm saying that when movies are made, consciously, subconsciously, they reflect the system structure that exists. And people see black people... Um, I was reading a book about Nazi Germany, and they heavily used propaganda in films to get across ideas about white supremacy. And one of the things that was said, that movies are very important because people go to the movies or they're looking at entertainment, and they are in a very relaxed state. And so they don't perceive consciously all of the messages that you intend to have go into their brain computers. And so I'm saying, in other words, if, we, if you are thinking system of racism and white supremacy, the historic role of the black female in the system of racism and white supremacy is to be a slut, a whore, because that's where black women started out on the plantation, being put in that role by white slave masters. That's the mindset for the system. And so this is the system being about white genetic survival. So white people looking at that go to that. And it's, I think, LeVar, you told me that in the film 12 Years a Slave, one of the important things that the slaves on the plantation talked about was what slave female was in a sexual relationship with the slave master. 
Now that film is that is coming out simultaneously with scandal. So the system is speaking about itself in symbolic ways. And it just happens that the actress, Carrie Washington, takes your mind directly to Washington, D.C., takes your mind directly into the White House, takes your mind into the demeanment and the degrading of the people in the White House. Black people would like to think we have a black president. This is wonderful. We have a black first lady. This is wonderful. We have a beautiful black family and grandmother. This is wonderful. This is what black people want to think. White people in large measure, want to think the negative things that are being said about the president, the first lady, every day in the news. So black people want to think, oh, this is a wonderful, this is wonderful, this is black actresses in this role. In this role doing what? Is this any different than Monster Ball? Is this any different than Russell Simmons putting out some movie or video where he has Harriet Tubman having sex with the slave master? And he says this is the funniest thing he's ever seen. Is this any different? No, we are perceived by the system of white supremacy in the very same language that black people sing about in this rap. Bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs. See, we want to pretend we want to pretend that racism, white supremacy doesn't exist. And to the extent that we want to pretend that it doesn't exist. It's just Frances Welsing talking about racism, and I don't know what's wrong with her. We want to pretend that Santa Claus exists. We want to pretend that Jesus, as a white man, loves us. See, it's a huge package that we are challenged to break it open and see the reality. See, I say the name Jesus itself. If we broke it down into Ebonics, it says just us. Jesus, if he was a historical figure, was a black man. He wasn't a white man in that part of the world. See, but black people don't even like the idea of thinking that Jesus was black. That's a painful thought in the brain that has been conditioned by white supremacy. As opposed to, it's a reality thought. It's a wonderful thought. It's a positive thought. 
All of the great religions were started by people who had skin pigmentation. All of them. You see, so I say that the psychological conditioning that is a part, and I, you know, I'm talking about Christianity. I'm baptized Baptist, christened A.M.E., baptized under the water. But so what? We are challenged to look critically at the system that we have been born into, that we are a part of. Why? Because we are in a tragic state. Seventy percent of our families, single-parent households, a million black men in jail, children failing to learn in school. We are on the genocide slide. So when we don't try to wait a minute, let us wake up and let us start thinking like grown-up people. Stop wondering why are the children doing what they're doing if the grown-ups refuse to think as grown-up people, meaning think about reality. Forget about fantasy. What is the reality? So this, this is what we're challenged to do. See, the brain, it's like if you, a person who says, if you say the word Jesus, and the person's brain automatically goes to that white image that you're taught to think about. See, we're coming up on December, and pretty soon it's going to be Christmas, and think about all the images of Christmas in a milk-white Jesus. All of that's a lie and a distortion, meaning those images. If Jesus was a historic figure, he was black. In that part of the world, he was black. Even Billy Graham says Jesus couldn't have been white. But this is what is in the minds of people. Just like if you say to a black person, what's the, who, what's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen? Does the image of a crystal black woman come to your mind? Chances are it doesn't. What's the best looking man? Chances are light skin, curly hair, maybe gray eyes. That might come to the black person's mind. All of that's conditioning, not the crystal black. Handsome man. Beautiful crystal black woman. So it's, again, it's opening our minds up to reality, opening our minds up to black self-respect, opening our minds up to what do we have to do to save ourselves, develop ourselves, develop our children. We have to deal with reality and what reality has done with us and have the self-respect and the courage to believe the creative force in the universe made black people the first people, the first human beings on this planet, the mothers and fathers of everybody. What did the creative force have in mind? Are we supposed to be the least amongst the people? Or are we supposed to be the most 
We're the parents of everybody. So all of this, you see, I want people to be able to think deeply. It's just like thinking deeply about the meaning of all these ball games that people are looking at today. You won't understand the ball games unless you understand system of racism, white supremacy. You won't understand ball games and big football games going on where a big brown ball is going into some white upright legs and white cheerleaders in short dresses standing on the side. No, at one level, very superficial level, just looking at the surface. But going deeper into an understanding, it fits exactly in with racism, white supremacy. Where white females in the system of white supremacy say their ideal mate is who? Tall, dark, and handsome. Tall, dark, and handsome. All these white movie stars running around now with these black babies. What is that all about? At the same time, black men are stashed away in the prisons and no black families have husbands and fathers and black male children don't have guides. And they're being effeminized. So the hour is late, and this is time for us as a people to value ourselves and love ourselves and respect ourselves enough to decide we're going to start looking deeply. We deserve to have these problems solved. We deserve to solve these problems ourselves, but we won't do it if we are not going to have the courage and the self-respect to try to understand what has been annihilating us for 500 years. Hey, I hope that got close to, <laughs> to answering her question. Hey, yes, um, yes, my second question was, um, I recently found out in meeting Sheikh Anta Diop, and this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm probably really late on everybody else, but I recently found out that um, apparently in uh, ancient Egypt and in, I guess, ancient Africa, uh, white, white people were considered untouchable. And I'm wondering if that could be as much, if not more, of a reason for the, the fact that they built a global system of white supremacy. Do you think that that trumps the, uh, the theory of fear of genetic annihilation, or do you still think that genetic annihilation is the main reason? Uh, LaVar, repeat that to me, please. She said she's been uh, reading the work of Sheikh Anta Jop, where he talks about white people in Egypt, uh, the continent of Africa, ancient Africa being enslaved. And she wanted to know if you think that white people being enslaved in Africa uh, at some point in time, if that could be a greater motivation for why they decided to construct the system of white supremacy, if you think that could even trump uh, white genetic annihilation with regards to why white people are practicing racism? No, absolutely no. I think that the fact that white people are albino mutants from black people 
and black people, if we, we want to go back far to the fact that black people put white people out of Africa, and we see African attitudes towards albino mutations to this very day. Do you see where they shun them and have treated them negatively, so they forced them out of Africa, and that's how they got into Europe in the first place. So it's like not just saying one thing is the cause. Can you uh, analyze the problem and you see where many things that are happening can be related to the same thing, can be related to the fear of white genetic annihilation. In other words, when white people decide that they need to cut off black men's genitals, you see, the fact that black people may have enslaved white people, that doesn't explain that. There's no history of black people cutting off white people's genitals. White people, white men in particular, have been fearful of genetic annihilation, and so they have cut off black men's genitals. So it's taking not just one piece of information, but taking many pieces of information and seeing whether they can be logically tied together. Thank you. You're welcome. I think this is our caller in Florida. Uh, caller in Florida, if you had a question for Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, your line should be open. Go ahead and tell it, Doctor. I appreciate you, Dr. Welsing. Dr. Welsing, uh, I have um, uh, a question on two uh, incidents that that have taken place over the uh, over the past month. Uh, the first one, and I, and and I want to know your take on both of them. Uh, the first one is the uh, the Miami Dolphins locker room. The uh, workplace racism that took place in the uh, locker room of the uh, NFL franchise, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, what's your take on it? And uh, the second one is the uh, incident uh, involving the uh, the uh, non-white black female that the mother with her uh, four, I think, four to five children that was shot at by the uh, enforcement officials. I think in New Mexico. I'm, I'm not sure on where exactly where it was done at. Uh, and uh, I'll just uh, listen to what you have to say about it, ma'am. Okay, well, uh, see, I would say these point of different dimensions of the same problem of racism. The Miami Dolphin incident where you have a white male calling a non-white male, said to be mixed race, but he's black, and calling him a nigger. And I would just wonder, uh, I mean, of course, you know, that should not be just like the black players who took the side of the white man said, the white man is our brother or honorary black man, but somehow the black man is not, you know, their choice to befriend or or to back. 
and the black players who ended up saying that it's okay to be called nigger. So to me, that points up, of course, aspects of the system of racism, white supremacy, and the demeanment of black people. And beyond that, black people saying, well, we like this. The other dimension that I've wondered about, uh, the player who is supposed to be mixed race, the fact that you had a black person and a white person together producing an offspring, did they fail to teach this person, this offspring, about the reality of racism, or were they in that relationship denying that race is a very critically important uh, thing, racism in this society? See, many couples who are black and white and they come together and they think that they are uh, annihilating racism, white supremacy, and they fail to talk about racism, white supremacy in that relationship. And so very often as a result of that, the children are going to be people of color, and they are wounded and harmed by the racism. But if the parents act like that doesn't really exist and it's not reality, uh, then I say that the children, the children are harmed. Now the the female, the black female, and her children who were in the car and that was, you know, being shot at in that way by the police. My thought would be is if it was a white female, and the officers realized that wait a minute, this is a white female. They would not have been shooting at that car and trying to break the windows of that car with a white female and white children sitting in that car. I just, you know, that would have to be shown to me to be the case. I don't believe they would have done that if the person was white. But again, racism is the substance. It's the warp and the weft of this civilization. But people try to pretend that it's not there. Black people want to pretend, and white people want to pretend. And so then all of these events happen, and then the next question, why did that happen? Oh, what was going on? What if we were talking about racism? There's a book, uh, Breaking Rank, I think the name of it by Norm Stamper a white police officer retired from the West Coast, and he wrote in his book about what white police officers, even in their training, are taught to think about black men and black people. Mm-hmm. The police are protection, you know, the first-line protectors of the system. And so what is the system? The system is racism, white supremacy. Now, people were talking about it and trying to come to terms with reality, but going back to the discussion about John Gresham and his interviews and what he has said about himself, about being born in Mississippi and what the attitudes of white people in Mississippi are. He's making a contribution because he's talking about reality as opposed to denying 
that all of this pattern of thinking actually exists and exists. And people don't want to talk about it. If people talked about it, then maybe those police officers would begin to have some other thoughts. And their thoughts are being brought to the surface and talked about as opposed to denied. And again, black people contribute to the denial, even though they contribute to the denial because they're afraid of white people. I'm afraid of white people. You see, but I'm afraid to not talk about this reality. I'm more afraid, let's put it that way. All right. Can white people harm black people? Yes. Do they harm black people every day? Yes. Because racism, white supremacy exists every day. Mm-hmm. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for the call, sir. Uh, person that dialed in uh, last four digits three five five seven three five five seven. Did you have a question for Doctor Welsing? Hello there, Gus. Greetings, sir. If you can speak up as loud as you can, sir. Okay. First of all, I just want to say you have no idea how much it means to me, Doctor Francis Chris Wilson, to have you on the phone today. How are you? You're gonna to have to repeat for me, Lebron, because I can't hardly hear. Mm-hmm. He just okay. he had a lot of thanks for you being on the program, and he asked, "How are you?" I'm sorry. Was that a question? That's what he said. He said, "How are you, Doctor Welsing?" And he's super- oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Go ahead, caller. Okay. Do you think it's possible under the system of white supremacy for a black community? to invest in building a police force so that it can police its own community? His question is, do you think under the system of white supremacy it would be possible for a black community to invest in a black police force to police their own community? Well, I would... uh See, I would say that certainly people can try that, but I'm, you know, in other words, if racism, white supremacy is the system that is in charge, then setting up a counter police force, that's like you saying that, you know, I can, for example, if I were to say, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to set up my house inside of your house. That's going to be kind of hard if you don't want me to set up my house inside of your house, if that's going to interfere with your power over me. And so I would say what black people can do is black people can begin to talk about racism, white supremacy, and talk about developing what shall we say, a revolutionary self-discipline about how we are going to think about ourselves, what we are going to do in terms of reproducing ourselves, that we are going to take conscious charge of our behavior. 
you see, so that we don't need white police coming to control us because we are disciplining and controlling ourselves out of our in-depth understanding of what indeed is going on. And let me just uh, talk about these behaviors that Neely Fuller talked about. Basic behaviors of discipline, he called them counter-racism behaviors. I call them exercises in black mental health and black self-respect, as well as counter-racism. And he said, stop name-calling one another. That's the beginning. Stop name-calling one another. Stop gossiping about one another. Stop cursing one another. Stop squabbling with one another. Stop snitching on one another for reasons of personal gain. Stop being disrespectful and discourteous to one another. Stop fighting one another. Stop killing one another. Stop robbing one another. And stop stealing from one another. See, these, this is a remarkable list of behaviors. These are negative, self-destroying behaviors that develop in a system that is destroying black people. And if black people begin to understand these negative behaviors are fostered by the system of racism and white supremacy, they do not enhance how we function as individuals and how we function collectively with one another. And so we as individuals, nobody imposing this on anybody else, but as individual people deciding they are going to lead themselves in this system of racism so as to break the system of racism, white supremacy, and replace it with justice. And so I add to that list, stop using and selling drugs to one another. Stop making black children think that as children they can be adequate mothers and fathers. Black people don't need to reproduce themselves until they are in their 30s. And everybody gets an education and becomes self-sufficient, meaning knowing how to take care of self. Not, you know, revolutionizing sex. We can call this black revolutionary sex. Not playing with producing children, but taking that very seriously. Get married first. Stop throwing down trash where black people live, work, and play. Stop pretending that racism and white supremacy does not exist. Stop believing in prosperity. Stop believing in welfare. Stop allowing black, brown, red, and yellow people being divided by white supremacy. Now these are, see, in other words, if people decided as individuals, if black people talked about, look, we've got something new going to break the back of racism and white supremacy. It's how we are going to relate to ourselves and relate to one another. Like, you know, the biggest complaint that black people have now is all of the fighting and killing that goes on amongst black people. So that's, you know, that's about fourth or fifth in Neely Fuller's code, counter-racist code of conduct. 
stop fighting one another and stop killing one another. So poor black people were doing that. As a matter of fact, there's no non-white people on this planet. If all of the non-white people on the planet decide we're not going to fight and kill each other, white supremacy would collapse the next day. It would absolutely collapse the next day. White supremacy necessitates black people killing one another, but to the extent that black people don't understand racism, white supremacy, they don't have a logical framework, a logical narrative to help them understand what behaviors need to be engaged in 24-7 by individual people. So let me go over again. Stop name-calling one another. See, this is people policing themselves out of their understanding. If we are able to do this, we will be able to transform a system of racism into a system of justice, and that will be foundational to having peace. And so as individuals, we are going to practice these behaviors. Stop name-calling one another. Stop gossiping about one another. Stop cursing one another. Stop squabbling with one another. Stop being discourteous and disrespectful to one another. Stop stealing from one another, stop robbing one another, stop fighting one another, and stop killing one another. Stop using and selling drugs to one another. Stop black children from thinking that as children they can be adequate mothers and fathers for a black child. Stop throwing down trash where black people live, work, and play. Stop pretending, stop thinking that welfare will save you, believe in prosperity, stop pretending that racism, white supremacy does not exist, and stop allowing racism, white supremacy, causing black, brown, red, yellow people to squabble and fight one another, being divided and conquered. So those are fundamental behaviors, but I maintain self-respect and behaviors that are reflecting self-respect. See, self-respect is not just saying I respect myself. Self-respect behaviors have to be specific to a given context. That's like if I was in uh, the North Pole and I said I respect myself, but I was running out of the tent or the igloo with no clothes on, that would hardly be respecting myself. So it's specific to the situation. Our situation is that we are victims in a system of racism, white supremacy. As victims, we have been programmed into self and group destructive behaviors because those self and group destructive behaviors help to maintain the system. And so we're becoming conscious of the system, conscious of what behaviors are essential to help the system come to a screeching halt 
so it can be replaced by a system of justice as foundation of peace. See, I say that justice is not something that falls out of the sky. Justice is a product of self-respect. In other words, when the level of self-respect reaches a certain point by a critical mass of people, then the system itself will change. The people will engage in whatever is necessary to see that it changed. We saw that in the civil rights era. The black people, see, it wasn't any black men walking around with their pants hanging down in the crack in their behind exposed to everybody. Or women trying to duplicate the same thing. See, go back and look at the films in the archives of the Civil Rights Movement and look at the dignity of those black men. Their shirts, their ties, their slacks, their hats. The women, the way they conducted themselves, the way they looked, and they were marching. And they broke the back of a discriminatory bus system in Montgomery, Alabama and carrying it further. People gave their lives. People went against, up against the same young people that are now killing themselves, killing each other, went up against dogs, police dogs, fire hoses, males and females, in their dignity and in their pride and in their self-respect, they broke the back of that aspect of the system. Now the system says, wait a minute, we can take them back where we want them. We want them at the bottom of a garbage can. We want them calling themselves gangsters and thugs and bitches and hoes, and we will have them for life glorifying in trash, not knowing the difference between trashiness and dignity, trashiness and self-respect, trashiness in black power, trashiness in black is beautiful. So the system, see, the system is not stupid. The, stu the system has absolute clarity absolute clarity about why they need to do what they need to do by any means necessary for white genetic survival. Whatever we have to do, we'll legalize marijuana so that we will have them unemployed, frustrated, and they can just go to the grocery store now and buy all the marijuana they want and this just be drugged out of their minds. And they won't be giving us any problem. They won't be trying to go to school. They won't be trying to work and get jobs. They'll all be high on marijuana. We'll let them start growing it in their backyards after we have removed them from the urban centers. So, go back to the question. 
people can police themselves with their dignity and their pride and their self-respect. Before integration, you had black communities where black people said, we don't do that. We don't behave like that. Where that was dominant ethos when black people were in segregated on their own communities. Now, they couldn't go to the restaurants and they couldn't get on the public transportation, couldn't go to the hospital where white people were. But within their own communities, they had standards of conduct. No, we, we don't do that. Where every black adult was responsible for looking at the behavior of the young people and correcting the behavior of the young people. I mean, to this day, I can remember the older people in our community. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And the older people in the community and the older people in the church and the people in the school, you see, would correct You don't do that. We don't do that. You see, but when integration, the phase of integration where black people thought all we have to do is be able to sit on the same commode where a white person sits or go in the restaurant and all the other aspects of behavior we don't need to think about. But again, you know, we don't have to feel faulty. We just did not understand system of racism, white supremacy as a total system structure and what the uh, what the objective of that system was all about. Now, as I started the program saying, I am most thankful. I think the most important thing that has happened to black people in the last half century is that we have the foundation for understanding system of racism, white supremacy, what it is, and how it works. And we can begin to share that understanding with each other and building, revolutionizing our behavior, foundation of behavior, reflecting that we respect ourselves. And so, therefore, <laughs> how we reflect this respect for ourselves in economics and education, in prizing education, in prizing uh, putting a value, a high value on reading, teaching our children to read and teaching mathematics to children, not expecting that at home any old thing can happen with the behavior of children and sending them to school and expecting a teacher to deal with 40 children who did not get behavior instruction at home. You see, but the system can control behavior, you know, instruction in the home by removing fathers. If you unemploy men and you incarcerate men and you spend more money to incarcerate one black man, $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year, as opposed to giving that black man a job where he can earn $30,000 a year and he can support himself, support a wife, and support two children and pay taxes. 
You see, but the system, I mean, just think about it. If a system is willing to spend thirty, forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars to incarcerate one black man, the same system could, you know, even if the government was the employer of last resort, knowing that men have to be employed to be healthy, to be mentally healthy. They have to have employment. They have to have productive work. A man has to have a job to function as a husband and a father. If people are not going to be genocided, then they have to have male and female parents so that children can grow up learning male and female role functioning. Then you have people who can survive and develop. But if you want to genocide people instead of having them thrive and develop, you will remove the men and you will begin to completely and totally distort the functioning of people. You have men being effeminized, and then that also would contribute to the genocide of a people. So these are things that, I mean, it's almost, you know, not a lot of time to keep singing and dancing and playing and clowning. All of that has its place, but it's not. You see, we are being warred against by racism and white supremacy. And so when a war is being conducted against the people, they are not spending the bulk of their time dancing and singing and focusing on entertainment. I hope that answered your question, Carla. I want to see if we can hit the uh, next person who had a question. Uh, I think this is Peaches. Uh, if you had a question for Dr. Welsing, your line should be open. Did you have a question? Uh, yes, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Uh, hello to Dr. Welsing and the guests and, and Gus and everyone. Um, I hope you can hear me. Um, uh, Dr. Welsing, uh, I'd like to get your take on the issue of uh, Jay-Z and um, the Barney's incident about how he didn't um, speak out on um, the racial profiling and, um, you know, in the stores and stuff, and um, and then how they had a white rapper uh, come along and uh, talk about it and hi make his statements about it. And, I mean, I know Jay-Z is, you know, doesn't have any, um, doesn't have any power to do anything, and he has to do what he's told, and I know people... A lot of people were saying that Jay-Z is a victim, you know, that we shouldn't blame him, and that when they put the white rapper up there, that was just to confuse, you know, the black people and everything. But I just wanted to get your take on that, please. Now, what did he, what did he say? What specifically are you referring to? I may not know. Okay, uh, do you remember um, what the incident at Barney's where that young black male bought that belt for $350? Right, and um, and he was profiled, and the the, the people in the stores called called the cops, the and they put the yeah. mm -hmm. okay, yeah. And anyway, um, Barney, I mean, uh, Jay Z, 
uh, he is or was affiliated with Barney's, and then was supposed to have a party or something, some kind of extravaganza or something, and Jay-Z was afraid to speak out on that because he was afraid that that would hamper his uh, employment or whatever uh, with, uh, with Barney's. So he didn't say anything, but... Uh, uh, and a lot of people were saying that, you know, Jay-Z, you know, he's a victim, you know, and he could, you know, he he really has to do what he's told. But then uh, the American Music Awards or some program, I, I don't know because I don't really watch TV, they had uh, some, white, some white rapper, he came out and he talked about the racial profiling in the stores and the stop and so-called frisk and stuff. And, and, and people were saying that, the, the white rapper was just brought out there just to confuse uh, the black people. And I just wanted to get your take on that. Well, see, I would, again, I would say that Jay-Z just reflects where most black people are in terms of not wanting to speak up about racism, white supremacy. In Jay-Z's case, it might be so he could maintain his relationship with Barney and the clothesline or whatever that they are going to uh, put out with his name on it or associated with him. He, I don't want to speak out about racism. I don't want to damage my relationship with white people because if I speak out about racism, then white people will get upset. And so I don't want the white people that I'm involved with to get upset. And so, I mean, that's the position of every black person who doesn't want to speak up about racism, white supremacy. You see what I'm saying? So his, yeah, his role, his what he said, just hit the newspapers. But that goes back to what the Attorney General said. Are we a nation of cowards being unable to talk about this horrendous problem that has existed. I'm paraphrasing, I'm using, I'm talking about a horrendous problem. The Attorney General said, you know, we're afraid, nation of powers being afraid to talk about racism. Racism is the big elephant in the room. See, somebody yeah. could do a survey of all the black people sitting together at Thanksgiving dinner. All the households that had a whole lot of people, you know, if there were black people, what percentage of those dinner tables would the people have something to say about racism? What would you say? Um, I mean, in other yes. words, you know, what has happened to somebody <laughs> as a result of racism? I would dare say almost 99%. I mean, they're not talking about racism in the manner that I'm talking about it, but they're talking about what happened to some black person and who lost their job and what white some white boss said to this or that or talking about Trayvon Martin or talking about who got shot. Did you see what I'm saying? Yes. Black people talk amongst themselves. It's like talking on the parking lot about what happened on the job but not raising the issue of racism in the presence of white people. Talking yes, about it on the quiet. Yes, I also yes. want to ask you about oh, the fact that they have this white rapper 
uh, come out and speak out about racial profiling. And uh, people, a lot of people think that this is the system, I mean, the, the white supremacist uh, media just did that just to confuse black people. I, and I also want to know your, your take on that stance as well. I don't mean well, I, don't, I don't know. Confused black people. I mean, was he covering for Jay Z? Somebody will come out and speak about racism who's white, but the black person can't. Or I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't hear his comment, and so I, I don't know. In other words, if he talked about racism and he continues to talk about racism, talking about the white rapper, then he's doing something constructive and. Everybody, black and white, need to be talking about racism, white supremacy, in its various aspects. Racial profiling is just one aspect of racism, white supremacy. We need to be talking about the whole system, not whether the white rapper will talk about the whole system. I'm not depending on him. Yes. Okay. Thanks a lot, ma'am. Answering my, okay. my question. I hope that in some way answers. Go ahead. Yes, it did. Thank you. Uh, the person that dialed in last four digits, 8423. 8423, if you had a question for Dr. Welsing, your line should be open. Caller, 8423, last four digits, 8423. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Okay, I will uh, assume that they are just listening. Uh, the person that dialed in uh, last four digits, 3434. Four. Uh, if you had a question for Dr. Welsing, your line should be open. Uh, the person in last four digits, 3434. Four. Uh, let me make sure I'm getting the line. Okay, got you. 3434, your line should be open. Thank you. Uh, and this is a wonderful program. Thank you, Dr. Welsing. Uh, I've been listening to you for years. Uh, my question has to do with um, children in particular. I have a young uh, 15-year-old son, and um, I waited until my mid-30s when I had him. Um, and one of the questions that I have is um, with respect to a curriculum or an educational system that can really help him to understand a lot of the issues that you and um, Dr., uh, you know, many, not just you, Dr. Wilson, but also Neely Fuller and, and, and others um, that I've listened to over the years and continue to listen to uh, and read materials, I'm really struggling with trying to create a curriculum for my son in that uh, I want him to be able to appreciate and understand fully what's going on in a way that he can absorb and digest it and, and appreciate it. And I remember many years ago when uh, I was in college and, and, and I actually had the, the fortune of working at a black bookstore, so all of my money went to buying books. And I was reading uh, a lot of materials and I found that, you know, at the age of like 18 years old, I was just very angry with what was going on and what continues to go on. I've, I've worked on that. But when I discuss these types of issues with my son and with other young uh, black uh, adults, young adults, um, it, it comes out. It comes out that not that, that I'm angry, but, I mean, they're, they're pretty smart kids, and they're looking at what's going on, and, 
and they're very confused and concerned and upset. And, and I just think that we really need, and I look for your views on this, a curriculum to help us parents try to make sure that we provide them with the information, but in such a way that they can appreciate it, digest it, understand it, and, and not be angered by it, but maybe more so be smart and strategic about it. I look for your views on that. Uh, LeVar, would you please summarize? I'm having problems with the, the uh, level going back and forth, so just summarize briefly for me, please. Uh, she said that she wanted your input on perhaps a curriculum that can be put together or how information can be disseminated to black children or younger black people. She said that when she first started to learn about racism, that she was angry. And she said that she has worked on that so that she doesn't get angry when she talks about it or when she presents it uh, to other black people. But she said that the children that she speaks with, that they get angry. She said that they're not stupid, that they understand, uh, they see things that are happening and they get angry. And she said that she was wanting uh, your view on how the information can be presented so that they can be productive and function in a manner that's not causing them problems without just getting angry uh, about racism. I would say that, see, I think that black adults have to take the first major steps. And in other words, if the adults say, I must understand racism, white supremacy, exactly what it is and how it works. And I am going to, uh, I am going to figure out what do I need to do to combat racism, white supremacy. And then so that the adult is involving him or herself in the struggle to end racism, white supremacy. You see, in other words, when a person starts saying, oh, this is what racism is, and then they, the brain will, are, okay, well, then this is what I am going to decide to do about it. If I'm sitting and waiting for somebody else to think what to do about it, then I, I begin to feel helpless as opposed to, well, wait a minute. I don't know, for example, so that adults can say to children, look, what you need to do, <clears throat> you are wonderful children, you are smart, you are second to none. So what we're going to do is first stage. We're going to make certain that we take school seriously. We're going to study and take learning very seriously. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So, and, and also, you know, building children's self-esteem about who they are, what they are. This is the history. People can go back. I was listening to someone talk about the continent of Africa the other day and saying that Africa is larger than Europe, China, India, and the United States combined. I listened to a nine-year-old, eight- or nine-year-old black child uh, on the Internet his father had uh, was an uh, educator, and this child knew the capital 
of every country in Africa knew the capital of every country in Europe, knew the capital of all the countries in South America. The parent was highly involved in helping the child learn, you see, or in terms of adults putting values on learning and reading and education. This is who black people are. I mean, if you look at, you know, many black children, they can twist and shake and pop their fingers and dance. That's because the adults around them are emphasizing that kind of behavior. They could also begin to emphasize the behavior. Look, we are in a system that does not want black people to learn, and this has been the case for 500 years, but we are going to learn how to read, and we are going to learn how to write, and we are going to take school seriously. Do you see? So that's a, a level that is very, very, very important. We are going to accept nothing less than top grades. Do you see? We are going to learn how to sit still. We're going to learn how to respect whoever is standing in front of the classroom teaching. That person is a very, very important person. All of these are lessons that people can give to children at home and not just expecting that everything, all learning is going to take place in the classroom. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like what are parents saying to children, how parents are talking to children, the kinds of names that people end up saying to children, uh, you know, or calling children. So I think if adults become highly involved, like I think we would have less violence the young people who are involved in drugs and guns, if black people, adults, were saying, wait a minute, our children are depressed and discouraged because they don't see any job opportunity. We are going to insist that our young people have employment. You see, we if, if marching or whatever it takes, marching, voting, and all the rest of it, our young people cannot perform in school if they don't believe that there are going to be jobs at the end of their efforts. And we're going to insist that they have employment. We're not ever going to talk about violence among black people without talking about the violence and the terrorism of racism and white supremacy. I think that if the adults were actively involving themselves, not in the denial of racism, but in the acknowledgement of racism and white supremacy. I mean, if we went back to the 1960s and the civil rights era, and the children who grew up seeing their parents involved, seeing their parents involved in the rallies, seeing their parents involved in the bus boycotts or whatever, and the children were learning based on what the adults were doing. And so I think the most important thing is that adults have to get involved because when adults get involved in activity that is positive for the protection in the development of the black community, those are lessons that the parents believe 
black people are important and black people are valuable. See, otherwise a child is, you know, with all of these uh, devices, I, you know, information devices that children have access to, and all of the negative, disgusting things that are being said in some of this rap that children can listen to that is annihilating their concept of black self-respect. Parents need to get in touch with that because that's influencing children. It's influencing children in their behavior. So, again, getting if the adults are getting highly involved and they're saying black people are important, black people are valuable, and that's why I'm doing this. And that's whether it's getting out and making certain that people know who to vote for. And children, I, you know, people may ask me, well, what did, how did you start doing what you do? Because my parents were very politically sensitive, politically alert, tuned in to what was happening to black people. That's how why I am who I am. I grew up listening to my grandmother, my father's mother who lived with us. Her husband was a physician who died in 1909. But when she was in our home raising us with my parents, she would say, your grandfather was a race man. He was a physician, but he was a race man. He prioritized the well-being of black people collectively and politically. And so that's, that's why I end up doing what I'm doing. You see, or seeing my parents read and the importance of books. My father used to, you know, talk to us about don't bend the book back in that manner. Treat the book with respect. You know, and there are hundreds of books all over the house. And so I have hundreds of books all over my house. So what are the parents doing has a very important is a very important lesson to children, what they think about themselves, what they feel about themselves, what they think is important. You know, my parents, you know, I'm just reflecting back on it as we were talking. It was more important to my parents about what was happening to black people as a collective than having to buy a new car every two years. This season, my car is 20-something years old about you know, something, some big number. <laughs> because what did they say, what did they teach as being important? What did they want us to think about ourselves in relationship to the larger society? So what black, and I think that, you know, it's not only what happens in the individual house, the people who attend churches, what are they trying to influence their church to think about and talk about in relationship to the children. Do you see, are they just talking about prosperity or are they talking about we need to have dynamic programs going on here that make certain that every child that attends this church knows how to read and, and knows mathematics? What if the church was saying that? Why? Because we love and value ourselves and we value our children and we want to see our generations progress through the years. We're not going to be satisfied with talking about failing schools. That's just unacceptable. I hope that answers in some way. 
Oh, it, it, it really did. And thank you, Gus, for, um, for streamlining that question for me. I did have one other question real quick, and, and that is I'm curious as to, I mean, I listened to everything that you've said this evening, and in some respects it seems very, the picture seems bleak. I, I want to know your thoughts on, on how you think this will end up. Um, it, it frightens me to see, as it seems, that we're going backwards in a lot of respects. But I'm very curious about. Obama had to have you repeat. I'm missing a lot of this. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Uh, well, I I don't know. She was. I don't know if she was finished. What I heard was she was saying she wanted your your thoughts. She said, listening to you this evening, it sounds very bleak in terms of prospects for black people under the current system of white supremacy. How do you think all of this is going to end up? What is the future going to look like? Uh, just with things sounding uh, pretty bad uh, with what you've laid out this evening. Was that, was that what you what you were asking? Yes. Right on. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I think that the objective of the system of racism, white supremacy is the inferiorization of black people and the genocide of black people. That's what we're looking at right now. And so that's, you know, the system is about white genetic survival. This is what is very hard for black people to really wrap their minds around. Because it's like, you know, we have a Rodney King idea or, you know, some religious idea that it would be wonderful if we all just got along together. Why can't we all just get along? That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. That's not the reality. That's like living at the North Pole and wishing that it would get as warm as Florida. That's not going to happen. If people who classify themselves as white consciously, subconsciously, structured a system for their genetic survival, then they can't be depended upon to maximally develop the nine-tenths population on the planet that they are fearful of causing their genetic annihilation. So what does that mean? See, to me, the answer is very clear. It means that the black people have to decide they're going to maximally develop themselves. It's just like black people in formal slavery. The slave master said, you better not try to read. And there were black people who said they were going to learn how to read if they had to write in the dirt floor. Just like there were black people who said, we are going to get free. And they were determined to do it. We have just been mesmerized by this, okay, now we're integrated. Now white people are going to like us. And that's what is throwing black people off the boat. See, it would be wonderful if everybody just loved each other. That's not on this planet. We have racism, white supremacy on this planet. Now, I don't know what they have going on in the other galaxy, but on this planet, and this is why the Attorney General, are we a nation of cowards being unable to talk about reality? 
do we disrespect ourselves so much that we cannot decide that we are going to maximally develop ourselves as black people second to none in spite of any and all opposition to the contrary. That's why we're going to be masters in an understanding of the system of racism and white supremacy and play superbly from the counter side, being determined that we are going to have justice on this planet. And that we see, in other words, if I'm sitting waiting and praying and hoping for white people to love me. I'm not going to spend my life energy making certain that there's going to be black maximal development because I don't love myself enough. I'm waiting for somebody to love me. That's like all the romantic music that black people have, baby, do you love me? I tell my patients, Stop asking somebody else to love you. Love and value yourself. And then determine what you are going to do to maximally develop and help yourself. That's our challenge. That's our challenge. It would be nice if we were on another galaxy other than Milky Way. Milky Way. <laughs> if we were on some other galaxy or some other planet. Maybe something different is happening there. But we're on the third planet from the sun, Earth. And on this planet, for the last 500 plus years, there's been racism and white supremacy. And so the challenge is, instead of hoping that the slave masters love us, i.e. scandal, that we face the reality and look at how the black president is being dealt with, look at how the first lady is being disrespected, looking at the demeaning roles that we are in on sitcoms and deciding that's not who we are. That's not who the creative force that made this universe intended the first people to be. And that's not who we're going to be. We're not going to be the trash barrel for the system of racism and white supremacy. We're going to be the most serious, most self-respecting, most dignified people the planet has ever seen. That should be our determination for ourselves. And if that is the determination for ourselves, see, I believe that anybody who thinks that we need to fail, it's almost like kicking dirt in the face of the Creator. We were made black. We were made the first people. We were made the mothers and fathers of everybody on this planet. We're the only people who can produce all of the colors. Now, we have to decide what does that mean as opposed to, I mean, we have to, you know, understand we have been brainwashed, brain whipped, brain degraded by the system of racism and white supremacy. We're not going to spend our time hating white people, being discourteous, being disrespectful to white people. We don't have time for that. But we are going to figure out what are the things that we need to do 
to maximally develop ourselves. And one of those things is revolutionary black sex, meaning we're not playing with sex. We're not producing children that we end up throwing away to foster care and having those children go through hell. We're not doing that anymore. We're not playing with sex, although all the music that we're programmed to listen to, that's what it's telling us to do. But we have to decode that and we have to begin to figure out differently, embrace ourselves and love ourselves and say, here's a problem. If my brain can conceive it, my brain can help me solve it. And this is why I will repeat, I am most thankful we're not where we were, not understanding racism, white supremacy as a system, and just hoping, why can't we all get along? No, now we can understand why we have this big, terrible, terroristic monstrosity of racism, white supremacy that is in our midst. We can understand what it is, why it exists, and now we can begin to do something about it. And black self-respect will be the beginning of its annihilation. Black self-respect means that if I can perceive and experience racism, what it is, I can analyze and decode what it is and be determined that this is not going to be around forever. It's not going to be around for another hundred years. And anybody who says, oh, racism is going to be with us forever, just walk away from that person and ignore them. It's a problem. It was created by human beings, and it can be solved by human beings on this planet. Those who are going to generate enough self-respect and determination to solve it. But any problem begins with its analysis, what it is and why it exists, exactly what it is. Only then do you have a glimmering of what it is that needs to be done about solving it. I'm convinced that it can be solved. I'm absolutely convinced that it can be solved. Will it be easy work or hard work? All important things are hard work. That's encouraging. Thank you very much. Uh, the person that dialed in from a block number. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? person that called from a block number. Hey, greetings, Gus. Is that me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, greetings to you, Gus, and greetings to Dr. Welsing. Um, Gus, if you could get your pen handy, because I, um, I have two questions I would like to ask Dr. Dr. Welsing. You might. Ma'am, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Uh, okay. You're going to have to repeat to me because I can't. Mm -hmm. Okay. My question is this. I keep hearing over and over again the repeat that all blacks are the parents of whites, that we are their parents, but yet still we are getting treated by these so-called children of ours the worst. And I don't see any evidence to back this claim up that we are the parents because the way to disrespect the planet, the way to disrespect us, I don't see that evidence. Even in Europe, the Piltdown Man, the Grimaldi Man, have all been melanated people. So if you can explain to me where I can go and find this evidence outside of what the Europeans have put out here to say that they are descended from Africans, 
um, I would greatly appreciate it. And you want me to give you the next question, Gus? Sure. So you could do both. And the second question that I have for her is this. I keep hearing that you're saying in this utopian society that the people who need the most help will get that help once we get this system conquered. How are we going to enforce this to make sure that there's no mistreatment and decide who's going to get the most help? Because if white people are going to be a part of this system, we know how they like to always play victim and get things when they really don't need it. So how are we going to, and what is this help and this utopian system going to look like? Thanks, Gus. Mm-hmm. Uh, her first question, Dr. Welsing, was she said that uh, you said that black people are the parent people of the planet, that we uh, white people, um, black people are the parents of white people. And she said that she sees so much evidence that white people are disrespecting their quote unquote parents. And she said, uh, how is it that white people or excuse me, that black people are the parents of white people with the behavior, the racist and terroristic behavior of whites? directed at white people, uh, excuse me, at black people. And if you have any uh, evidence that you could direct her to that would support uh, the notion or claim that black people are the parents of white people. That was the first question. Okay. I would just uh, suggest that uh, the listener uh, just go to the uh, current data of anthropologists um, and paleontologists and the people who have recognized and uh, that black people are the first people on the planet, that this is not something that is in dispute by the majority of workers in this area. Human life began on the continent of Africa. The first people were black. Black people can give birth to albino mutants, and that's the beginning of white people. So... Uh, you know, she can go and, you know, read the literature, read what is being recently written about and talked about. White people cannot produce all of the colors of people. White people can only produce white people. Black people are the only people that can produce all of the colors, from crystal black, and then if they have a mutation to albinism, and you mix the two, you get all the colors in the middle. Okay. Okay. Uh, the second question was the definition of justice that Mr. Fuller gives, uh, that no one being mistreated and the people who need the most help will get the most help. She said, if this is established and white people are still in existence, white people are still around in the system of justice, how would justice be enforced to make sure that nobody is being mistreated uh, and to make sure that white people are still not taking all the resources or getting an undue amount of help given their history of uh, practicing racism and mistreatment. How would this be enforced if you still had a population of white people while you had a system of justice? Uh, let me see if I can answer it in this way. That let's, uh, let's assume that the parlor has a house and she has 10 family members in the house. And so then <clears throat> one person from the outside comes in. Can she envision that one person, if they were aware 
if they were aware of the intentions of the one person that's not that was coming into the house. If they had the awareness, advanced awareness, this person is coming in to overtake the house, but it's ten people in the house. What chance does that one person have? That's a question. <laughs> did, did see? Now, on the other hand, if the ten people who are in the house do not have any understanding of the one person who seeks to come into the house, and the people who are in the house, let's say, for some reason, they don't like themselves, and they don't like each other. And so they can, when the one person comes in, the one person who comes in doesn't look like them, and so they don't like themselves. So the one person comes in, and the one person is quite skillful. I can divide these ten people. I can make them start fighting them fighting each other, and I will come in and I will tell every other person, the other person next to them is trying to harm them. And so then the ten people all start fighting each other, and the one person can come in and take over the house. But in that case, then we... So then when nine-tenths of the people on the planet are people, non-white people. So... At this point in time, the one-tenth white people on the planet have poisoned. They've gone all around the world with their missionaries and taught that having color is ugly and that white is pure and beautiful. And so they successfully were able to program the thinking of the nine-tenths of people as they conquered them. And so they also inoculated their thinking so that everybody hates themselves and wish they were white. That's where we are right now. So the majority of people of color are going around trying to bleach their skin, put yellow wigs on their head, etc., etc. That's what the nine-tenths are doing right now. And so they're willing to fight each other and kill each other. But if the nine-tenths ever started respecting themselves, and that potentiality is always there. They can start respecting themselves and understanding the one-tenth. And so then if they decide they're not going to spend time hating the one-tenth, but they are going to understand who the one-tenth are and what their pattern of reasoning is in spite of how they initially present themselves. Like there's a saying, beware of geese, uh, Greeks bearing gifts. So the, potenti the, the potential, for example, the, if black people started respecting themselves and liking themselves instead of calling themselves niggers, and bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs. If black people started thinking, they are black and beautiful. Black pride, black power, black dignity, black discipline, black self-respect. Black people will have transformed themselves 
and in the process, the critical process, if they respect themselves, then the behavior or activity that they have the highest regard for is the act of self-reproduction. In this culture, it's called sex. So they're very mindful. They're very mindful of the reproduction of themselves and that they owe it to children. If they bring a child in the world, the two people involved are committed to each other and committed to the maximal development of that child. See, all of this is the people engaging in revolutionary transformation of their understanding, moving from no understanding of racism and white supremacy to a full understanding of what racism and white supremacy is. A full understanding that is they themselves who have the responsibility of changing their reality. It's just like parents coming to see a psychiatrist about a child's behavior out of control and the psychiatrist helps the parents see where some of their behavior, not that they're bad people, but they're the parents. They are in control of the house and they are responsible for transforming or altering the behavior that is taking place in the house that then can transform the behavior of the children that are in the house. That's what I see. I hope that answered your uh, questions, 404. Uh, the person that dialed in, 4586, 4586. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing, 4586? Uh, uh, yeah, man, I actually was trying to get on earlier, but uh, I'm at work now, but I'm, see, I don't think I'm going to be able to actually, I'm at work, so uh, let, me, let, me, let me see. Let me go, go real quick. Uh, yeah, Dr. Welsing, uh, my question was, if you cannot have uh, racism without racism and white supremacy without white supremacy, um, can you eliminate white supremacy without eliminating white supremacists? Can you repeat that, Lafayette? Yes, ma'am. He said, if you can't have racism without racists, can you eliminate the system of white supremacy without eliminating white people? No, racism, white supremacy is the behavior of white people. And let's say, for example, let's say they're a group of ten friends and they socialize together. And one of the people in the group is a thief. The people initially do not know who the thief is. But every time they get together, somebody comes up with something that's missing. Once a thief has been identified, meaning the behavior of the particular person has been identified, the person with the behavior, what their tendency is, and they don't seem to be able to stop themselves. And so then the nine people 
share amongst themselves. You know, X is stealing. Every time we get together, X is finding one or another way to steal from one of us. So then everybody becomes aware of who the person with the destructive behavior is. And so then that person comes together with the other people, but everybody is in a state of awareness. They don't even have to tell the person not to come anymore. Everybody is just aware and on guard. So that that person who had this tendency, somebody is always closely observing just like they're doing with Iran and developing, whether they're developing any nuclear weapons. That person is always under observation. So they know who the person is, and so they just are mindful. The person is in check because everybody sees who they are. They can no longer deceive the other people. And so you have a completely different situation. And as a matter of fact, the people just might say, X, we know who you are. We understand what your tendencies are. And so we are all alert. And chances are maybe that person will remove themselves. But that doesn't mean that the people are not continuing to be mindful of their tendencies. See, the people have started out of their awareness behaving in a, an alert status. They're always mindful, meaning they respect themselves and they don't allow injury to happen to themselves. And so they keep a watchful eye on the person who has been injurious to them in the past. Does that make sense? Uh, the call, he said he was uh, at work, uh, so he just asked this question and he uh, dropped I off. So uh, hopefully I he <laughs> got it. So see, that's the importance of identifying what racism, white supremacy is. Um, it, you know, like most black people who are on jobs, if you ask them, are they being promoted in the same way that white people are being promoted? Do they have the same salary? Do they have, you know, the same opportunity for advancement? They're going to tell you no. Absolutely. Hear that all the time. Uh, I guess with the holiday, a lot of people, as I thought, are not at work, even though our last caller was. A lot of people are not at work, and uh, they did dial in. I just want to check, are you okay to get some other callers or I didn't want to tax you. I know it's getting later on your end. Um, do you can we go on for another 20 minutes or so? Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, we'll try and get as many folks in as we can. A uh, person calling in from Canada, uh, three, two, three, one, three, two, three, one. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Uh, caller last four digits, three, two, three, one. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hi, it's uh, Ronda Mike calling in, and uh, I just, uh, I'm also at work. Ha <laughs> ha, funny. Um, 
And, um, I don't know. I had a question earlier on. I'm going to try and think about it. I hope this is a constructive question. But it was along the lines of, uh, um, it seems like there is an effort to make black people, non-white people come across as the aggressors in this whole struggle of racism and everything, and also to paint us as, uh, as, you know, violence and all that jazz. I was wondering if Dr. Wilson has any suggestions on how we can uh, codify our conversations about violence, for instance. Um, I, I heard someone on the Compensatory Concepts, Neely Fuller show, call in and talk about how we need, like, a solution for dealing with non-whites who, who do inappropriate behavior. And um, to me, it came across as sounding really, um, it sounded uh, like almost like a, like a, the way she put solution, it sounded like, you know, the way Hitler used to say his final solution and stuff. And, um, and I'm just wondering whether she has any suggestions on how we can allow ourselves to explore those topics in a codified manner. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Lavar, repeat that last part of the question, please. Uh, he said, if you have any, I guess, uh, if you have any views on how we can have those sorts of conversations in a more codified manner, uh, when, I guess, if we're talking about what should be done with non-white people who do incorrect things, uh, how we can, I guess, go about being more constructive in the way we talk about that. Okay, did the caller hear me list the behaviors that uh, the top ten came out of the work of Neely Fuller? In other words, how black people could begin relating to themselves and each other? Did the caller hear that? Klondike Mike, did you hear that portion of the program? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, my, my question is more specifically... Because we, as uh, black people and non-white people, we have to be able to talk about the possibility of violence being inflicted on us and also using violence in order to defend ourselves. And sometimes when we're talking about that, it's very difficult because we're... Um, I'm afraid of, uh, of, of playing into the hands of white supremacists and making us look like violent, crazy people. Is there a way that we can talk about violence? And specifically violence, not necessarily towards non-white people in a more codified manner. Are you saying, is there a way that we can talk about violence? Yes. See, I'm Yes, in a more codified, yes. What I'm suggesting, I'm suggesting that in other words, racism, white supremacy is a system of necessary violence against black and other people of color. Black people in particular because black people have the greatest potential to cause white genetic annihilation. Now, black people have been programmed to, first of all, not understand racism, white supremacy, secondarily, to hate themselves and to hate each other. And this is important. In other words, if a minority wants to control a majority, they do it by dividing and conquering. 
black people have been divided and conquered, and they have imposed it's been imposed on them black self-hatred, color sickness, hair sickness, feature sickness. All of these things help to maintain racism, white supremacy. And so if you're just stuck on what you consider to be violence, it's like the system of racism, white supremacy, I maintain I'm not contradicting anything that Neely Fuller has to say. I'm sharing my view that if black people were to focus on enhancing their sense of self-respect. In other words, people who don't, people who degrade themselves and degrade one another. Anybody who is an enemy of those people, know all you have to do with these people is X, Y, Z, because they hate themselves. They demean and degrade themselves. That is causing their defeat. So all we have to do is keep fueling that and enhancing that because they have, we have made them weak and they have taken over making themselves weak. And so then as the people begin to realize, oh, we see what that play is all about. We're not going to be victimized by that. We are going to enhance as opposed to contribute to our self-demeanment and our self-annihilation. We are no longer going to engage in that. Can you not see that that looks like a completely different people? That's like the person who is a black belt in karate or has, you know, attained some high level in the martial arts. And that person is known for being able to defend themselves. As a matter of fact, you might even not know that they have a black belt. All you have to do is look at them in their calm, self-respecting demeanor to know you better not mess with that person. They don't have to make any threats. They don't have to carry any weapons. But you can see when people respect themselves. As black people, our self-respect level on a 10-point scale, 10 is tops, we're at a minus 100. We can be demeaned and degraded, and we don't even have a clue that that is what's happening. Somebody can pay us, and we'll call ourselves bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs and talk about each other. Men talking in a demeaning way about women. See, whenever that happens, the man is talking about his own mother. And that means he has no manhood. So when we begin to understand the methodology and we can counter by our determination to respect ourselves and respect one another. We become another entity. See, perhaps that's why 
so many people are comfortable using the word nigger. That means having become nothing. Having become nothing. But that can, you know, again, with understanding, that can be changed. Right on. Uh, I hope that answered your question. Klondike Mike, good to hear from you, sir. Uh, the person that called in uh, 6933, caller at 6933, did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Greetings, uh, Gus and Dr. Welsing. Um, my question just uh, happens to be related to the children. I live in Texas, and um, I live in one of the major cities out here, however, I work about 20 miles outside of uh, the major city, and I have an opportunity to work with uh, school-age children between the ages of 5 and 17, and what I've noticed is like a phenomenon out in this area where um, it is encouraged that uh, non-white persons marry or date and have sexual intercourse with uh, white persons, and it's all like very normal for me having coming from the major city and seeing this behavior to me is very odd like but out here so I'm, I'm working right now no one really even pays attention this is normal so I see these kids a lot and I, I noticed that some of them look confused when, when they have one have a uh, one black parent and one uh, or one known white parent and one white parent and they just don't seem like they fit in, and you can see on their faces that they, they're depressed in a sense because they don't know how to fit in. And I don't know how to communicate with these kids, and so that's, that's just my question. Uh, two questions, actually. How do you even communicate with these kids who might be or children who might feel like um, they don't fit in? And two, what, what do you think is the, the reason that it's being encouraged for uh, white persons to marry and date and have offspring with a uh, non-white person. And I'll leave my line. Well, in a system of racism, white supremacy, white and non-white people are not on an equal status. The non-white person is the person who becomes confused and further alienated from being a non-white person. And so, in other words, it's like doing psychological neutralization of the non-white person because they are still in a system of white supremacy. And the offspring from these unions... It's a very confused person, and it would be difficult for the person to avoid. Now, they're non-white because that's the dominant genetic material. You can look at them and see they're non-white. But the person is, uh, all of this is taking place in the system of racism, white supremacy. So a child in this power construct where white is in power, that non-white child is quietly wishing 
If it hadn't been for the non-white parent, I could be all white. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they don't, they are really kind of unhappy with themselves. I recently saw an article that was talking about mixed-race children. White and mixed-race children use more drugs and alcohol than blacks, black children of comparable ages. So that the, the non-white offspring, it's too, in other words, if someone like myself is saying racism has to do with fear of white genetic annihilation, and it looks as though when you see whites and non-whites getting married, that, well, that can't be true that there's a fear of genetic annihilation. Well, there is a fear of genetic annihilation, but whites are getting ready to be a minority in this area of the world. And so you are really producing people who look non-white, but they don't like being non-white. And they basically long to be white. That's why the offspring, the children of mixed race, they're confused because they really are not accepted by whites as being white. And they don't want to be non-white. That's just like if you do a survey amongst black people and black people could turn white tomorrow. I would say the majority of black people would want to turn white by tomorrow. And they would say, because that's where power is. That's like they ask Hispanics, why did they put on the census that, when they, that they were white, when it's clear they're not white? And they say, well, because white is where the power is. Does that in any way answer? Uh, no, she, Hello? she said she was going to mute her yes, mind. Yes, it, it does answer the question. It does answer the I'm question. Just, um, it does answer the question. I just had a concern of, of how to communicate with these, these children because um, it, it's very much so practice that the mothers, you have generations of um, um, generations of persons who are who have at least one, one white parent and one non-white parent out in this area. And it's very odd for, for me coming from the major city but it's practiced so much that no one even pays attention. No one looks back and, and just uh, just pays attention and, and stare a little bit. They don't do it in this area. So it was something new to me, very new. So, yeah, so you did answer my question. Hello? Uh, she said that you did answer her question, so I... Okay, and I would just say this. See, let's say if an adult person is working with children, I would say all children. It's like you relate to them uh, with respect. You see, when I was training in child psychiatry, they used to say, oh, Francis can get all the children well. She holds the hands of all the children. Why? Well, treat children with respect, regardless as to their color. Treat them with respect, do you see, but not make differences. Sometimes black people are in a situation where they're working with white and black children and they feel it necessary to be nicer to the white children than they're being to the black children. That's a mistake. They should treat all children with justice and with respect. 
Absolutely. Uh, I think that is 20 minutes uh, for the other folks that dialed in who had questions. Uh, hopefully we'll get Dr. Welsing back so you can uh, get your question in. It just There were a lot of people who dialed in today, which is good. I'm glad folks uh, took some time out of their schedule to uh, participate in the discussion. I hope it was uh, constructive and you got some food for thought. Maybe even you were sitting around with some other family, friends, uh, and listening to the dialogue. You can chat talk about what you've heard and uh, see how you can incorporate uh, some of the suggestions Dr. Welsing has shared with us. Uh, I know I can speak for the folks listening in, people who called in or people who were just listening. Uh, it, Man, it is always just uh, an extreme honor to be able to uh, hear your views and uh, you give so much food for thought uh, to think about and even days, weeks after the program to continue to marinate on uh, what you have said. Uh, if there's anything you want to uh, share with the folks before we uh, wrap the broadcast up, feel free, Dr. Welsing. No, I would just say uh, all the black people, thank the Creator for making you black. We have great challenges in front of us, and I would think the Creator is saying, I gave you more than everybody else. You were chosen to be the mothers and fathers of all the people on the planet, and I really am testing you to see whether you rise to the occasion of what I made you to be. So I say that that challenge is in front of us, and we should accept and respect the challenge and be determined that these are big problems, but we have the wherewithal. You know, when I look at uh, the different talents that... uh, black people have. It's just the talents are not all fused together in a direction of black self-respect. But when those talents get fused in uh, a collectivity of black self-respect and recognizing the problem that uh, we are all faced with, uh, that the problems can be solved. I'm not at all hopeless. Be not discouraged. I remember that one. She uh, left us with those final words. I think that was uh, 2009. Be not discouraged. Be not discouraged. I say that all the time. Uh, We thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you uh, take phenomenal care, Dr. Welsing. Um, Continue the outstanding work that you are doing, and we will definitely look forward uh, to being in touch with you soon. I think another one of your refrains I'll leave the folks with, reading is more important than watching television. Uh, You say that all the time. Reading is more important than watching television. Let me just say this in closing. I heard this uh, recently. A gentleman whose name is Al Mansour. I heard him say that uh, people of the Muslim religion in this area of the world often say "Assalamu alaikum," but he said the first words in the Quran are "Read, read, read." Mm. So that was very interesting to me. Read, read, read. Mm. It's more important than watching TV. Ashe. We will be in touch with you soon. Please continue to take excellent care and uh, enjoy the rest of your Thursday evening, Dr. Welsing. And thank you for making an opportunity for this kind of discussion. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Welsing. You too. 
context of white supremacy. Wow. Read, read, read. Uh, we will be doing our share tomorrow, book study session, uh, Solomon Northup, 12 Years a Slave. I believe this is session number four. Tomorrow evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, tune in uh, has been constructive so far. We are getting close to the end. I think uh, there are at most three, but I don't even think there are three more of these. It might just be two. Um, I have to look at the page numbers, but uh, it's not that long of a book. So at, it could just be two of these left. So this could be the second to last session. Uh, tune in. If you haven't been uh, keeping up with the book study session, you can go in the archives and get the other three. Uh, she also, Dr. Welsing, she mentioned several books in addition to John Grisham's uh, latest book, Sycamore Row. She also mentioned Breaking Rank by Norm Stamper. He has been on the program twice uh, you can go back in the archives and hear some of what he shared. He went into more detail about uh, white enforcement officers fear of black people, black males specifically, and how that plays out in different acts, uh, which you saw with Jonathan Farrell and some of the other incidents of white terrorism uh, that we have uh, experienced. Uh, again, we'll be back tomorrow and also for Saturday, compensatory call in for the folks who were not able to get a question in. There were loads of people on the phone line. Uh, like I said, I think that's a good sign uh, where folks were not just shacking up watching football or if they did, they hit the mute button and chose to listen in to uh, hopefully constructive information. Uh, on replacing white supremacy with justice. If you had questions, and I know there were a lot of people who did have questions and weren't able to get them to Dr. Welsing, feel free. You can call in for the Saturday broadcast and share. Uh, we can talk about it then. Uh, definitely want to hear uh, some of the other input. I know some of the people uh, were asking questions about how, if she had tips uh, for using counter-racist skills for people who are in social services or mental health uh, fields. Uh, and I know we had another person who emailed a question in uh, just looking to help with uh, their own mental health and, and ways that you can nourish and take care of yourself. Uh, definitely feel free to dial in this weekend and share. Uh, looking forward to hearing from folks uh, how their so-called holiday horror day went. And if they had time with family and friends, if you were able to make it a constructive use of time and energy. Uh, thanks all for listening in. I hope I uh, hope we added some value to your uh, Thursday evening. I hope you will not be going out to waste money for what they call Black Friday tomorrow. Uh, that can be a part of that. We're always talking about economics and the importance of economics. That's a gigantic portion right there. Uh, just not wasting money uh, when white people condition us to go out and spin, spin, spin. Go, got to get that Xbox One. Got to get that PlayStation 4. Got to go get this and get a $300 belt. $5,000 pair of suspenders. Keep your money. That is one of the best things you can do to practice black self-respect and healthy economics. Do not spend a quarter tomorrow on nothing unless it's something that you needed anyway we shouldn't be participating in any of these uh holidays and enriching white terrorists uh stay away from the mall stay away from the shopping centers all of that uh if you have the day off look to do something constructive with your family and friends do some reading go to the library if it's open see if you can get some books do some uh john grisham sycamore road great book about racism do some studying with your time off or get some exercise, do some meditating, do something that will be helpful for you and people that you care about. Keep 
your wallet under lock and key. Read, read, read. Uh, to the creator, we uh, thank you for allowing Dr. Welsing to spend time with us this evening. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed hearing the information, and we just ask that you help us to incorporate uh, whatever each of us individually thinks makes sense, thinks would be helpful in us becoming better individually, better at countering racism, white supremacy, and closer to achieving the ultimate status, universal man, universal woman. Help us to be patient with other victims of racism. Help us to be patient with our self. Ashe. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all. For tuning in. I'm a victim, brother. No a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.